Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Ramnant Tile Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jose. And you know, in our uh, two plus years of podcasting, our 66 episodes, our many, many pun titles, I don't think any come close to the glory that is the episode title for this episode, episode 66. And it's a pun in honor of a game involving egg tossing, so it's only fitting that we do an egg pun, and a game that's getting mixed reviews, perhaps leaving you a little scrambled about what you think. Yes, this episode is scrambled expectations. Thank you. I'm out. Podcast done. No, it's... Uh, excellent pun. Thank you. It was excellent, yes. But uh, this episode, naturally, as that indicates, we're going to have impressions of Yoshi's new eye. For anyone that's still listening, actually, at this point, after that long drum up to a horrible pun, first of all, thank you. And second of all, we're going to have impressions of Yoshi's new eye later in the show, which I've been playing. And it's been getting some mixed reviews online, but I'll give my take. I, I think people are being a little hard on it at times, but at other times, they're spot on. So... Uh, that's there's that there's gonna be weapons to omase impressions courtesy of you Jose, um, which is that eShop comedy game of sorts. Yeah, it feels like I'm watching a sitcom. It has a laugh track. Ninety percent of the time. It has a laugh track. It's just missing the Seinfeld baseline. You know the boom boom boom. It has its, anyway. own, it has its own weird. Oh, does rhythm. it? Well, I mean, not like not like to that extent, but right. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll get to it later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. The way I describe it, it's gonna it's gonna kind of make it sound like something. Uh, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> We also, of course, have a lot of news to get to before we get to those things. Uh, Game Developers Conference was this past week, so we have all the news, which isn't as much as you would think, coming out of that. We also have some uh, third-party news, some Smash Bros. updates, Jason Sales Corner with a look at February sales numbers. There's a lot of little things to get to. So, um, as always, if there's a specific topic any of you are interested in, be it jumping straight to Yoshi's New Island in hopes of hearing more egg puns, or avoiding it like the plague because you hate egg puns, either way, you can use the timestamps at ramtown.com for episode 66 to... Uh, go directly where you want to go in the episode. So with that said, we should probably talk about GDC. That was the big... Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff, indeed. We should just pepper uh, egg puns throughout the episode, and it'll be like it'll be like an Easter egg hunt, and you never know where they'll be, but then you'll find them and be glad. But they're horrified. Yeah. The, I feel like the Easter egg hunt was also some sort of pun, just a really poorly done one. You should have just said Easter eggs, because then it refers more to video games. Yeah. But it's also an egg. Yeah. We're off to a great start. Okay, so uh, Game Developers Conference was this past week in wonderful, beautiful, sunny, also rainy San Francisco. And, you know, unintentionally, I feel like our episode title actually kind of sums up GDC pretty well this year. In that, uh, it, from a Nintendo's perspective, at least. Like, Sony had a pretty big GDC. They announced a virtual reality headset that competes with the Oculus called... The Pro- Morpheus, right? Yeah, Project Morpheus. Oh. Uh, and then Microsoft had a pretty decent showing. They finally rolled out their official indie game program for Xbox One called ID at Xbox. So that, they had a big coming out, coming out part. They had 25 brand new games announced. Like, they had a showing. Nintendo, well, they were there. They just, like, Nintendo's showing just kind of was, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, it used to be, I don't know if you remember, but Game Developers Conference, um, was a huge deal for Nintendo in years past and for Nintendo fans. Like, they had giant keynotes hosted by Terry Wada and Shigeru Miyamoto. They unveiled entirely new games like Zelda Phantom Hourglass and Super Mario 3D Land. Both of those were at GDC originally. Like, that's where they debuted. And then last year, they kind of eased up, like, they eased back a little. They didn't have any big unveilings, but they showed off uh, Nintendo Web Framework for the first time. They showed off Unity on Wii U and gave it out, and announced they're giving it out for free to developers. So it's like, okay, they're still announcing things. And then this year, there really wasn't any news. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, here we are, check us out. What do they feel like Nintendo hasn't been trying as much if at all, like, since... Well, for that... Like, in the years that they feel, um... Well, for GDC, I can understand why. I mean... Well, I mean, oh, well, yeah, I guess GDC maybe, but... 
overall, I feel like I haven't really heard any. Just cuts their foot because they do it through directs. They have so many directs now that what's the point of doing a GDC keynote and announcing things at even, GDC when you can just announce it every six well, weeks? No, but even then, I mean, like, they barely announce any games for the Wii U on their directs. I'm pretty sure the Wii U is like, on its deathbed, well, honestly. That's, that's like, they've just been on decline ever since they said, like, oh, we're going to pick these up. It's like they've already given up. Yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping E3 turns that around, but I honestly don't know. I just found it interesting that for the first time, and I don't even know how long, Nintendo didn't even have their own games at GDC. They always had their own games on display. And this just goes into what you were saying. Like, this year they didn't have anything of I mean, their own. I mean, did I buy a failed console? You bought on? a Virtual Boy. That's uh, what you bought. A Virtual Boy with not red and black only I guess graphics. we got more than 12 games. 14 yeah, that's games, true. Whatever amount it was. We got, like, 16 games, which is a pretty pretty stellar number of games. But, but uh, <laughs> anyway, at least we get Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. That's really all that matters. Anyway. And the thing is, it's not necessarily dead. They said at E3 they're going to be showing off an NFC-enabled game that's going to like breathe new life to the gamepad. They're going to be doing stuff focusing on the gamepad this year. It's not truly dead. It's well, just... I completely uh, about E3. And they still have Hylian Warriors coming, which I know it doesn't count. They still have Legend of Zelda for Wii U coming. Like, there's stuff coming down the pipe. It's just a little further out. Yeah. But in the meantime, what we have is all this indie stuff. And it's just, like, Nintendo's in a weird position because they don't have the third-party support. Like, you you know, like we were kind of saying, they don't have the first-party uh, lineup there. So, at things like GDC, all they can do is be like, hey, check out these indie games. Because that's really, <laughs> at this point, that's all they have, you know? Which is kind of unfortunate, but, I mean, at the same time, it's also, for at a conference for developers, I feel like it's kind of what they needed to show, you know? Like, Nintendo can't go, me, 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 like they used to. Like, everything's about me. They really have to go, look, 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 we have this thing and this other tool. And look, people are making games with them. You should, too. Like, I feel like it's a lot more of a humble Nintendo that's just trying to attract people than them being like, hey, we know how you should make games. And we're going to do a keynote saying why uh, cheap games are going to fall to the wayside and why you have to make premium products. Like, all that stuff, they can't do that anymore. They don't have the ability. They literally don't have, like, the ability to do it because no one will listen to them. They're not really in a position of power, if that makes sense. Poor Nintendo. Yeah, I mean the the the, the flip side of that though, now that I think about it, is um, indie gaming's in like a renaissance right now. Like if Nintendo had to pick a time when they had to go indie, like had to get whatever they could and grab whatever scraps they could, now's the right time because like indie games aren't just trendy; they're like the things that are like saying the trend or not saying trend. They're the what is pushing the industry forward. Like indie games are huge now, you know. Yeah, so we get big developers. And, like, stepping down and making their own indie companies and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, not only that, but, like, indie games are now selling as well as real games. Like, uh, just this past week, Runner 2, Gianna Sisters, uh, Twisted Dreams, and Little Inferno, three games that we have talked pretty highly about on the show in the past year since we came, Wii U came out, all three of them, it was announced, have sold over a million copies across what, all the various platforms they're on. Uh-huh. Like, those are numbers that third, like, real third parties hope to achieve in some cases and never get close to. I mean, Rayman Legends is nowhere near that number. So that's just kind of... That's pretty crazy. When I think yeah, if you stop and think about it, like, we're, we're definitely in, like, an indie renaissance right now. Yeah, three are really good games. Mm-hmm. I mean, other ones are doing super well as well. Like, Mutant Muds is a success. It's selling best on 3DS of all versions. They're very, and they're very nintendo we just can't have to They are. Look at them that way. Yeah, but I found it interesting that, like, even a game like Little Inferno, which was kind of, like, it has a message in well, there. Well, actually, that one's really very No, but... <laughs> It is in the sense that it has some whimsy to it. Dark whimsy, but whimsy yeah. nonetheless. But yeah, the fact that these games are selling so well really shows that like, Nintendo picked the right time to force themselves to jump into indie. So uh, I, I guess the point of me saying all this, though, is just that like a lot of people going to GC, and even last episode we kind of hyped it this way, like, a lot of people going to GC with certain expectations, especially with Nintendo, where it's like, oh, they're going to announce a new Mario, they're going to announce a new Zelda, they're going to announce this, they're going to announce that. And I feel like it's just like, 
that's not going to happen anymore. You got to like scale back your expectations. You got to realize Game Developers Conference is not an E3. It's a developers conference. So sure, they may have announced stuff in the past, but now they're going to do it in other venues. Nintendo Direct, E3, that sort of thing. That's not to say there's not cool stuff at GC, which we'll probably talk about. We are going to talk about. It's just mis- It just doesn't have the pizzazz and the flashiness. It's like there's going to be excellent stuff coming out of it. There's going to be cool little things that we find out there. But and it's still exciting. It's just in a different way, I guess. Any news on the the seven or so games that uh, got uh, yeah to about be determined? that? Yeah. So what happened for those that don't know is Nintendo.com updated its releases right during GC for everything, like every game that's supposed to come out, and just put TB, TBD to be determined, like you said. And uh, a bunch of the developers are like we don't know why. <laughs> like they haven't delayed the game, so most likely what happened is Nintendo's cleaning up cleaning up its database instead of having some games listed as March that got delayed to April, you know, uh, like uh, Shovel Knight or like Armillo got delayed to May. Instead of having to keep changing those or putting like April slash May or March slash April, which was becoming a little too common, Nintendo probably said, you know what, let's wait for a firm release date and do that. Because the thing with indie games is they get lock checked and pushed to the eShop pretty quickly. Like there's not it's not like a major game where a company will set a date of, you know, August first and come June, they're ready for August first. Like indie games are up to the last minute. So and then they just sent to, they're sent to Nintendo for bug testing and approval and then they're put out. So Nintendo's probably like instead of just keeping the date in flux, why don't we just once we know the real date, just put it up like the week of or something. That's my hunch. I don't think it's a ba- I don't think it's a major issue. All the developers said they're still bringing their games and whatnot. No. So, because there was one rumor that might have been because uh, ID at Xbox or whatever the indie program's called, one of the things they used to require, which they just dropped when they relaunched the program, was uh, your game has to launch on Xbox at the same time as everyone else. It can't be timed exclusive on another console, which is insane that Microsoft can mandate that. They've since pulled it back, but everyone was like, "Oh, well, maybe that's why." Because like a couple of the games, like uh, One Thousand One Spikes, is coming to Xbox One as well now. So, no, but I don't think that's what it is. Um, but that said. With all that said, after I kind of dampered the GDC hype, uh, it is worth knowing that there was some cool stuff at GDC, honestly. It just didn't have the flashiness. So one of the more interesting things is actually the only internal Nintendo project that was at GDC, which was a demo of Mario vs. Donkey Kong for the Wii U. And it, uh, it it was a technical demo, supposedly, but it had a lot of polish for a technical demo. Basically, for- It looked like... They just like a ported a level from the Game Boy Advance one. No, it was a brand, new, brand new level. With brand, you didn't know... Did you watch videos of the later levels? There are four levels in total. Oh, no, only one. The later ones were bigger than the screen, and you had to pan around using the gamepad. Like, the TV showed the full no, like level. No, the DS ones, where you have to pan yeah, around. Yeah, actually, right. yeah, now that I think about it. But, so yeah, how it was, for those not aware, is that um, Nintendo's this thing called Nintendo Web Framework. It lets you make games in HTML5 and then easily turn them into native Wii U apps that you can download and add DLC to in the eShop and have it work with the gamepad and the two screens and everything. Uh, TV and gamepad, not DS. So when I said two screens. So they have this framework, and they're trying to show off to developers how quick and easy it is to make games for. So they did that by, um, in this case, setting up the Mario vs. Donkey Kong demo Mm -hmm. within Web Framework. So it probably was a port, but it was pretty polished. I mean, they had multiple uh, high-score tiers, like, you know, different trophies you can get. They had four different levels. They had the touchscreen interactive. Like, you do stuff on a touchscreen, it uh, shows up on a TV. Like, it was a full-fledged demo. And basically what they did, and it was like traditional Mario vs. Donkey Kong, where it's just the minis are marching to the goal. You build and remove bridges with the stylus to get yeah. them there. That's about it. But, uh... I the the classic Mario vs. Donkey Kong... Well, the one that was for Game Boy Advance where it actually was Mario vs. Oh, yeah, Donkey when it was Mar- Donkey Kong 94, the sequel. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Now it's just um, 
Lemmings. No, it's just like, what weird things can we do with lemmings? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, it is worth knowing, though, that Nintendo said they don't plan to do anything with this demo, which I don't really believe. The last time they said they're not going to release a demo as a full game, it was New Super Mario Bros. Me at E3 2011 at the Wii U unveiling. And then, well, you know, a year later at E3 2012, suddenly Mario Me becomes Mario U, and it's a full-fledged <laughs> launch title. So it also shows how weird that sentence sounded. <laughs> so uh, I my, my hunch is they might end up releasing it, especially if, as you were pointing out, Jose, there aren't a ton of games right now coming out. Like, Nintendo doesn't have a lot on the pipe, so why not? Even if it's a buy-the-books Mario vs. Donkey Kong, it just pads the lineup. Just put it on the eShop and promote it and be like, look, it's 10 bucks. Have at it. It's clearly very easy and cheap for them to make if they're yeah. showing off as a demo. So I don't know why they don't just flush it out. They're good games. I mean, I would recommend that they do bring it to the Wii, yeah. to the Wii U. Although I guess on the flip side, it, if, if it really is as similar to DS version as you were saying, oh, like no, okay. if there's nothing special about, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my issue with Yoshi's New Island, which we'll get no, to no, later. No, that's in the exactly show. what I was about to say. That I, yeah. I mean, they're good games, but, but there's only so much you can play of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, love, I mean, the 3DS one was just so different that that one like it's just really fun. But the 3DS one's cool because it like really flipped the formula on its head. Yeah. Like it's a totally different game. But but then again, it has been a while since they did a real Mario vs. Donkey Kong. It's been like four or five years, I think. So if they were to go back and just make it like oh nostalgia, they might be able to pull it off. Funny how like it's been that long and yet it still it feels, feels so like fresh. It's just I know. Dated, so. Well, it's like what we were saying about Mario Kart a few episodes ago, where it's like Mario Kart games feel like. At least to me, like, they're getting a little, not overplayed, I still love them, but, like, they're getting more common. Like, it's not a big event like it used to be. Like, Mar- when Double Dash came out however many years after 64, it's like, oh, wow, a new 3D Mario Kart's been so long. But now we get them, like, every two years. It's just like, oh, right. Hmm. So I feel like if they, I feel like that could happen in Mario vs. Donkey Kong, if they're not care- careful. Yeah, it really depends on the game for me. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that great. too. That too. But I, I will say... That uh, while Nintendo didn't have... Well, we don't know if this is going to become a game. They did have nine games. I think nine. Yeah, nine games on display at their booth that are actual real games that will be coming out. So this was their... Uh, Marvel vs. Donkey Kong was used as their Nintendo Web Framework demo. But they also wanted to show off Unity, which is an engine that works on multiple platforms, super easy to develop for, and that's what a lot of Wii U indie games are going to be built on. In fact, they had, like I said, they had nine at the booth. There's 17 on the way. Like in the, like you know about like going through the processes oh. to get on the eShop, and then there's an additional fifty. That's five zero fifty Unity based eShop Wii U games coming, or as Nintendo put it to Silicon Era, they're in the wings. So I mean, fifty games on Unity. Some of them are probably gonna not be that great, but some of them I'm sure are gonna be really good. So it's just like that's actually like kind of fifteen impressive. of them are gonna be amazing. Yeah, but still the rest fifteen. Are gonna be... But on a system right. that needs games so desperately, Nothing having either. 15 amazing games is actually, you yeah. know, and presented or distributed and created in a way that wasn't possible on previous Nintendo systems. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, throwing a really, really, really wide net is pretty good. Yeah, because sometimes you'll catch some good fish. I don't yeah. know how the rest of, the rest of that uh, for me. Kinda, uh. Sometimes you get a shiny Gyarados. We'll make it Pokemon. Yeah, but I don't know. Shiny, getting a shiny Pokemon in the wild is kind of like the worst thing you could, that could happen to you, in my opinion. Well, I don't know much about Pokemon, obviously, <laughs> but... <laughs> but right, yeah, unless so. you just want to shine your Pokemon, then yeah, it's amazing. It's like a 1 in 8,000 something chance, but... Well, I'm okay with those odds. Yeah, but they... they <laughs> battle, battle why they suck. Right, but, uh... Yeah, well... Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, how you look well, at it, I guess. Okay, fine, it doesn't work. Winning the lottery. There you go. There we go. But no, uh, <laughs> Everyone can agree But no, that. just the, the fact that there are 50 games coming, like 5-0, again, 5-0, not 1-5, that's... 
that's good, right? That is a good thing. <laughs> that's definitely a good thing. But it's what they did show at their booth. They rotate out the demos, but do on we know hand, anything about these fifty? They're just all? no. They I mean, just it, it, the interview, yeah, that. the guys like there's just fifty in the pro in the process of being made. I mean, we know about seven. We know about seven that were at the booth. We know the other a lot of the other seventeen. The other fifty include stuff that's like on Kickstarter, like a hat in time, presumably it includes stuff no. like uh, everything that has a Wii U as a stretch goal. Basically, everything that has Wii U as a stretch goal and is built on the Unity engine is probably counted in that. When he said 50 in the wings, that probably means they're in any number of stages of pre-production. It could just be a guy that called Nintendo and said, I have this cool idea. Uh, here's, a, here's a quick rough sketch I did of it, and I'm going to build it on Unity. And Nintendo's like, sweet. We'll give you a <laughs> kit for $10. <laughs> like, actually, Nintendo gives out kits for free now. That's another great thing they're doing with indies is... Um, it is really easy to borrow a Wii U development kit for free. Mm. They, you can eventually pay 2000 bucks <laughs> for it, but up front, you can just borrow it for free until your game's made, and then you can pay them back. So, Mr. Hmm... Oh, that's like, just like Weapon Shop to Elmo say. Sure. Is that how it works? That you? Oh, yeah, they borrow the weapons and pay back if they work, right? Yeah. yeah. Man, everything in this episode fits so well with the games we're talking about. Apparently. Apparently. But, yeah, so what they did show at, at GDC, a lot of it... You know, if you've been following the Wii U indie scene, you're going to know most of these names. They had Armillo there, of course, which comes out May 12th. They had uh, Ballpoint Adventure Infinity, which is that hand-drawn, looks like you're like in a world doodled on a piece of lined paper. They had that on. It's, it's like a platform. a 2D shooter. Yeah. My, my, my it's more my of a platform. It's a guy. You're a little guy. Yeah, but you're, the, all of that is just for building up your oh, true, vehicle. True. Fighting but yeah, so that's coming out. That was supposed to be out March 18th and then got delayed, which seems to be the norm for indie games now. So that's March 18th. That's in the past. I know. That's my point. So that's coming out. I don't know when. But uh, there's also they also showed off Cube Man 2, which we talked about once before. It's that um, it's from No, the one that looks like Minecraft. Yeah, oh, it's uh, also I don't know how to say No's name. It's N N N N N or it's N N N O O O O O. I think No. Or did they know? He's probably that. Yeah, it's probably No. Or No 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 No. Anyway, they uh, yeah they're they're publishing it, but it's basically a real time strategy slash like tower defense game. In the style, in the art style of Minecraft, where everything's very blocky. Yeah, they call it voxel, right? Isn't that like the proper name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. But uh, and the cool thing about that one though is it's fully online, cross-platform online play against like Steam Steam people. people. Yeah, so that could potentially be cool. So they had that there. They also had um, it'll do, it'll do, which I just realized is short for like it'll do, but it's spelled. I-T-T-L-E space D-W and that's the top-down Zelda style very similar in way in a way to A Link Between Worlds at least in at first glance and how it, it looks like if Wind Waker was a top-down top down. Well, yeah. I like Minish Cap that was the same yeah there we go Minish Cap it's like a three it's like a 3D rendered Minish Cap yeah but yeah that's on Unity so they had that on display no release day no, on 2D, that one 2D as far 2D. as I what no it's like if Minish Cap was 3D but it'll do a 2D game but it's I thought it uses polygons no. Oh, it's hand-drawn, you're right. Yeah. Just Not kidding. Just kidding. I guess I went a little... Too, I yeah, know, it's it, a little too close to my Link Between Worlds comparison there. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it looks exactly like the Wind Waker art, like the official art. Just 2D. Pretty much, yeah. That's like the style. Yeah. It, it does look nice. No, it does I mean, really I, apparently I misjudged But whenever it's... I watch it, I'm like, it looks so much like those. I mean, like, obviously there's like well, you know why going on, but... You know why oh, they yeah, made yeah, It'll yeah, Do yeah. look like that? No, no, no. You know the real reason. Because uh, they okay. really like those? No, because they're like... It kind of looks like Wind Waker. Eh, it'll do. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. I am here once every two weeks. Anyway. Um, that was excruciating. I know. Oh, the first peppering of an egg pun. 
You're not supposed to bring attention to it. Uh, you have to, or else you can't just let it slide. Actually, you can. That's probably for the best. But yeah, so in addition, it'll do... This podcast is a train wreck. In addition, it'll do... They also were showing off uh, Monkey Pirates, which we've talked about before. That's the real-time sea battling. You're on these ships. It's top-down. Yes. You're shooting. Yeah. I was trying to watch a trailer for it, but it wouldn't want to load on the Wii U. Sadness. Yeah. That got delayed as well, by the way. Oh, well. So, and it. like I said, it's a normal thing. They also have... Uh, I don't even know how to say this one. I feel like I should Nihilumbra or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? It's the, one, it's the side-scroller, the guy, it's a shadowy figure, and you use paint to interact with the world on the gamepad. You mean, um, the Forgotten Swan? Mm, what? That's like that's a... Forgotten Swan. I think that's what it's called. It's a, no, it's called Nihilumbra or no, something. No, no, N-I-H-I Lumbra. No, I know, I'm just joking. It's, it's a PlayStation indie game where it's like an all-white world, but it's like you're just trying to traverse and platform by throwing paint everywhere so that you can see the platforms. It's not quite like... The paint in this one, you use the paint to solve puzzles. So there'll be like a stream of like yellow, whatever, shooting by. And you like block it with purple. Oh, okay. Or something. That's pretty different then. This one yeah. is just like... You literally can't see anything. It's like a white canvas. And you yeah, just no, block totally it with paint. This, one's, this, one's, this one's literally like a black... This one's literally like a black canvas. Like it's all silhouetted. Oh. Except the paint. Which you use the gamepad for. So we haven't already talked about that one before. But that was in there. That one was on display too. As was. There's one more that I'm for, Or two more I'm forgetting. One Sensei. The action platform that we've talked about a few times on the show. And Teslagrad. Which we've talked about as well. The electricity based puzzle platformer. And I, I have to admit. Uh, Hang drawn like, RT2D platformer. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that one looks that good one, though. Yeah, it yeah. looks super good. I was going to say. They, so, uh, Nintendo of these seven games. Or nine games. However many there are. Nintendo released a trailer. Trailers for like four of them. Armillo. Looks like Armello. Like, I already know I'm going to buy it. I love, I love that Indiecade, so there's that. But Teslagrad, I played at Indiecade back in October, and I was like, ah, oh, this is pretty cool. But it was apparently super early in the game, the demo, because uh, what they showed in that trailer looks insane. Like, you got all these different abilities involving electricity, and you're doing stuff like summoning lightning in different ways, and, like, making platforms float with magnetism, and, like, attracting things to you. And it, it looks, like, with positive energy, it looks super cool. And also the latent style has really grown on me for that one. Latent. The latent art style. It's very latent-y. Watch the, watch the trailer again. They, they have, like, the same eyes. And it's know. set in the UK. How much more latent do you need? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, anyone that what? has dots for eyes and is British is clearly Not from the latent I think when you're latent, has dots for yeah, eyes. Yeah, <laughs> he does. But, well, literally, they're latent-y. They're, you oh, know, they're relatives right. of latent. Latent-ish. Latonians. Latonians. There we go. Latonians. But, yeah, so, um... That's what they had at their booth. But there's one game that I didn't mention that we've never talked about before. But actually, I did some research into it after seeing the trailer for it. And it's actually a really cool concept. And that's, it's kind of like Psychonauts meets uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star. Which is, I know that sounds insane. But it's called uh, Stick It to the Man. Oh, yeah. And yeah, first of all, the game looks like, like paper craft come to life. Like it's like these cutouts, these crude cutouts and they're like, interacting with The trailer with each is other. really odd. It's really odd. But I was like, what is this? So I did some research. And it's a comedy game that's it's a platformer that has some hints of point and click sort of but basically what you're doing is you're exploring this world they're calling it a puzzle platformer and as you uh walk around you talk to different people and you get to as you talk to them you get to read their mind because the main character you see has a giant pink arm that he found on the ground and that giant pink arm can reach into people's brains or into people's memories or minds or whatever so when you reach into them you get these stickers and you use these stickers to solve to get through parts puzzles in the world so you have to find the right people, talk to them the right way, get the right sticker, and then go interact with the world using that sticker. So it's kind of a cool concept. It looks really cool, like, graphically. It has a very unique style. But um, 
the thing they're doing for the Wii U version, it's already been out on, I believe, PS3 and Vita, like, last holiday season. No, so well, for the Wii it's been U out for a while, then. Yeah, and, for, and it got really good reviews. That's enough, like, when I was looking you into it. Never, it got, it, yeah, me neither, because there's so hard. many indie games. That's my... So I was saying earlier, like we're in a renaissance of indie games. It's funny, like sometimes I feel like, like oh, I think I I know like most of the games that are coming up. But then um, when all these new indie games are announced for the Wii U, I'm like, oh wow, I never heard of this game. And like, oh, this game has been out for like half a year. Yeah, on Tesla Steam Grad, or... which I was like, oh, there's so much stuff later in the game that looks so cool. It's out on Steam. I could just go look and see what it's like. But I'm like, I'm in this Nintendo bubble where it's like, oh, I don't know anything about this. But uh, sick to me, I did look into like Destructoid gave it like a. 9 or 9.5 or something insanely high score but no it's uh it's a cool concept and for the game pad what they're doing is that's gonna be like inside people's minds it's like when you when you're like exploring the stickers in their brain or whatever it is that you do to get the stickers it's all on the game pad so they're like actually separating the worlds unlike in the ps3 and vita version where it's just a little speech bubble and you press a button and that's that like now it's actually like oh you're talking to them on one screen you're in their head on the other like it feels more involved yeah immersive and involved yeah but uh it, there's no uh, there's no firm date yet, but the developers at a, at the company that's making it called Zoink, which is great. Uh, that's they said it's gonna be out this spring. And it's supposedly really funny too. Like, it has some really sharp writing, so yeah. I might actually pick it up. I, I knew nothing about it. Like it was announced, like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and we never recovered really on show because I just didn't know anything. So I was like, oh, whatever. But yeah, stick it to the man. Actually, does look pretty cool, shockingly. So, so that's what Nintendo had at GDC. I mean, like I said, it's a lot of stuff we already knew. And there's not a lot of new, like there wasn't a lot of news from Nintendo itself, but there was some indie news from other companies outside Nintendo's booth in conjunction with GDC, and uh, some of them are pretty interesting. I think the most eye-catching, simply because of its art style, was a game called uh, Aztez, which is from a developer, appropriately enough, named Team Colorblind, and the entire game is basically Mad World graphics in 2D. So it's yeah, black it and white like with red all over. War. Yeah, I thought it like. except there's a strategy element. It's only halfway God of War. So how it works... First of all, the God game... God of War is strategy. No, no, no. I don't mean, like, strategy. I mean, like, strategy. Like, RTS strategy. Like, Fire Emblem strategy. Oh. So, yeah. How it... Basic... First, the, the art style does look super cool. It's black and white. Blood splatters in red. Um, it kind of has, like, a Japanese, like, like paintbrushy look to it. Did you notice that? Like, the backgrounds. Mm, it kind of had like not not necessarily jam, like calligraphy brush strokes kind of for yeah, background I guess I didn't really look at the background I was too engrossed in the, the foreground <laughs> yeah the very blocky looking people not yeah. in a bad way just very it's just the art that kind of like Castle Crasher looking characters yeah just more just not as um, disproportioned yeah they're more than proportioned but they had kind of the same like squareness to them mm-hmm. but yeah so that um the the fighting, which is what you're going to be, is kind of God War ish. It really is. It's like side scrolling, hack and slash, beat em up, like just like go go go, kill kill kill. But those only happen when you engage in battle with people on a map that's in a real time strategy. Like it's a split. Half the game is that battling, and the other half of the game is like a strategy game. Oh wow, I thought the whole game was just that. Yeah, so did I at first, but then I was like looking I mean, at I their thought, website. I, mean, I saw and a trailer, and that's like all they showed. Yep, I know, and it's confusing because they haven't really explained how the real time strategy game part is going to work. Like they show a kind of an anime gif or something on the website for the game. Where you see like a map and you go to different plot points and everything. And I'm guessing it's kind of like Fire Emblem or kind of like a real-time strategy game. Where it's like when you engage with the enemy, it'll launch into battle. But instead of just happening on the map or instead of happening turn-based like Advance Wars, it's real-time. And you go into the side-scrolling level and you duke it out. And you just mow down the bad guys. So it so that part, the mowing down the bad guys, does look like God of War. But the rest is its own beast, I guess. But it looks super cool. I love the art style. 
Well, I wish be... more games did. Well, if too many games did, it'd be generic. But I really like that some games. Blending of genres always brings interesting results. Like the whole Henry mm-hmm. Hatsworth comes to mind. Oh yeah, yeah. Henry Hatsworth. I really wish I played Henry Hat. Henry Hatsworth. That game. I never got around to it, but just the concept of a puzzle game and a platformer and the puzzling affects the platforming. Like this just seems really cool. And the banjos are sounding characters. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of games do that. I've realized. Like a lot of kind of like quirky games feel the need to have their characters talk like they were. Like gibberish. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, the the thing with Aztez though is it's not just the RTS. It's not just the bowling. They're also adding some layers to it to keep things more interesting. Like for example, it's procedurally generated. Procedurally, pr- wow, I can talk. Procedurally generated, meaning no two levels are alike, no two scenarios are alike, no two battles are alike. Essentially, everything is compiled of different pieces and they can play out in different ways so if you go into a specific battle or go to a specific one of the 30 different environments to do your fighting across whatever it is it's gonna be different every time the strategies of the enemies will be different how they attack you on the real-time strategy side will be different like it's gonna be no it won't be the same game twice so that's kind of cool and there's gonna be i think i said there's gonna be 30 different environments which is a pretty hefty amount for an indie game i feel like and uh they're also letting you customize your character not just with stuff you earn through the game but you can knock armor off your enemies as you're fighting them in the God of War style gameplay and then basically pick them up and just put them on your character. So you can have this like monstrosity of a character made up of all these different parts of other characters which is kind of kind of cool. Yeah, just keep in mind that I'm only saying God of War right now because I can't really think of a 2D game with that much fluid beautiful action. Joe. Beautiful Joe. Difference is Beautiful Joe didn't have swords. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, even then because I mean, like this one, like I see, well... I didn't play that far into Beautiful Joe because I never owned it. I only played yeah. a good chunk of it, but like this one seems to have like really long combos, and a lot of the things they do do like really do remind me of God of War. Yeah, especially the there's one where he does this like crazy like juggling in the air. Using yeah, the yeah, yeah, like combo starts in the ground, takes him up to the air, attacks him some more, does like maybe some like air teleporting or air dashing or mm-hmm. like, like charges to the ground. I don't know if it's cool. It does look really cool, and uh, there's also gonna be four different sets of weapons, so it won't just be those swords the whole time. Uh, they didn't. I don't remember all the four, but there's, like, long-range, short-range, etc. I did lose track of the main character a few times, though. Yeah, but the thing is, if you're playing it, you probably could keep a better eye on it. Yeah. And there's no word yet on if there's a Wii U exclusive feature. It's also coming to uh, PlayStation, Steam, Mac, PC, etc., etc. But uh, it is due this year, so we should know soon enough. Not even the links? The links? Sounded like every platform was Oh, oh, the Atari links? I thought you meant links, like, plural, like, Hyrulean heroes, or Hylian heroes. (laughs) I was like, what? Oh, oh, Is Link an unlockable character? The Hyrulean band, the links. Yeah, the (laughs) links. Zora and the links. Yeah, I'm making a band now. It's Zora and the links. Uh, Anyway, so that's one of the games that was announced. The other game, actually, or one of the other games, actually, is also a procedurally generated title, and that's called I've Gotta Run. Which, as you can probably guess from the name, is just a endless, just an endless runner. So it's Wii exclusive. We haven't had one of those yet on the Wii, huh? Yeah, we have. It's called Runner Two. It's not an endless runner, though. Oh, it does end. You're right. Yeah. You're right. We haven't had a truly endless runner. Yeah. So here we go. I've got a run. It's the first true endless runner for the Wii U, and it's being made exclusively for the Wii U by a one-person development team called Four Corner Games. It's some it's some uh, lady who lives in like Wisconsin, and she's making it in her spare time, which is kind of actually kind of awesome. Just the concept of like someone just said, "Yeah, I'm just gonna make this game." And I'm just going to put it out. And people will buy I it. i got to run. Yeah. but uh, So how it's going to work is it's only going to be two bucks. And it's going to come with three separate runner modes, so to speak. So there's going to be an endless classic mode where, you know, it's the typical you're running automatically. You press a button, you jump, and that's it. There's going to be an endless classic uh, or endless double mode is what they're technically calling it, where you have a double jump. 
fancy stuff. And then there's going to be an endless special mode where there are power-ups to speed up and slow down your running. So, I mean, it's pretty basic. It's not reinventing the wheel or anything, but it is, as you point out, the first endless runner for Wii U. And it's just cool that it's this one person just on her own, just like, I'm going to make this game. And she's doing everything from the coding to the design of the levels to the look of the game. So it's just it's, it's just kind of a cool concept, I think. And uh, it is all procedurally generated on the fly, which is true for pretty much every endless runner, in the sense that like, you're never going to have the same level twice. Yeah. Um... The one thing of note that makes it different from most nice runners is it hooks into Miiverse. So there'll be a way in the game that you can brag about your high scores and post your accomplishments and whatnot right there without having, like, not through the home menu, but, like, through a custom interface that will hook into Miiverse in some way. Although I have no idea what that means, because, like, the home menu does that whenever you want. So unless it, like, adds a special stamp or something, I'm not quite sure what the point of that is. Yes, we were, I'm so used to playing endless, not just the runners, or the endless games on phones that it's kind of weird. The idea of playing yeah. on the console. But, I mean, it's just Runner 2, just forever. Yeah, but... Well... And with a toy yeah, I mean, that was kind of different. I mean, Runner 2 felt more like a music game than a... True. Oh, that's true. Runner that's very true. But, yeah, um... I mean, you could play with your eyes closed. That's true, yeah. I mean, well, I can't. If, if you, I can't, because I have no rhythm. If you, you have can. the level already kind of memorized. Yeah. Play. I mean, these kind of games, like you said, like they're, they're made randomly. Like, everything changes, so... Yeah, that's true. But, uh... I don't know if you've seen any screenshots or videos, of, or well, there are no videos, but I don't know if you've seen the screenshots of a guy run, but it definitely feels homemade. Like, you can tell it's a one-person team. Like, it, the art's, like, honestly, it looks like made in Photoshop, which isn't a problem. It's just, it kind of adds to the charm, I would say, actually. It just, like, like I feel like the principle of this game is almost more interesting than the game itself. Just, like, there's this one person just Photoshopping some levels up in Wisconsin. Gotta make that part known, then. Yeah, and then, like, now, um, now they're selling the game. Or they'll oh, be selling the game. Think, this... like, like, well, a team of, like, 50 people made this. Okay, I don't think anyone's gonna... Well, maybe they'll think that. Oh. But, and the thing is that, like, technically, the game's gonna be pretty sound. It's gonna be full mm. 60 frames per second on TV and gamepad simultaneously. It's gonna be, uh, a very fast... You know how in Endless Runners, like, when you die, like, even in Flappy Bird, when you die, you want to respawn very quickly, because that's, like, yeah. that's what gets you to keep playing. One twentieth of a second, and then you're running again. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like from a technical standpoint, this game actually is kind of cool. It's like Super Meat Boy fast. Yeah, pretty much. So it's out in second quarter, and like I said, it's only two bucks. So honestly, on principle, maybe worth picking up just because it's like the most indie you can get, and still also technically pretty sound. It sounds like so we'll see. Nintendo World Report had the exclusive on the unveil. No video yet, but you know it's coming out in the next couple months. We should see more soon. And if it's anything of no, of course we'll uh, keep you guys posted. On the opposite end of the spectrum from I've Gotta Run, though, is a game called uh, Sync. And Sync is also a Wii U exclusive, but it's totally, like, if, if I've Gotta Run's, like, bare-bones, basic, just, like, I'm gonna make a cool running game. This one's, like, let's make a, let's make the biggest, fanciest game possible, but make it, like, on an affordable budget. That's basically their philosophy. The developers over at, uh, I think, company's dead. So let's make it look like Portal, but not really. Yeah, the developers, uh... Are, it's a company called Dead Pixel Entertainment, and they um, they basically went on record saying, yes, we want to make a AAA game experience at a low cost. So they're trying to replicate Metroid Prime and kind of mix it with Portal. Sync's going to be a first-person adventure game. All they've shown so far, it's very early in development, so all they've shown so far is like a screenshot of what it looks like in its current prototype phase. But the reason I bring it up is because we always, you and me have always railed, up, railed against indie games that are like, oh, it's another 2D platformer. Oh, it's another point-and-click adventure. Oh, another old-school 16-bit RPG. But this one's a full-fledged 3D first-person adventure in the style of Metroid Prime. So it kind of bucks the trend a little. 
So we kind of have to mention it. After giving all those other games a hard time, we got to point out. It. Yeah, it could be potentially very cool. We don't really know much about it, but... Uh, they're they're tr- ambitious. Like, they're like, oh, there's no hand-holding. Everything is going to yeah. be... Like, is it narrative-driven or something? It's going to be narrative-driven, but without... But you're good. Like, it's going to be a Metro Prime where, like, you discover the narrative. It's yeah. not just going to be cutscenes. And, like, everything you interact with in the game will, like, point you towards that narrative. And what's interesting about it is you kind of mentioned the portal thing. It, they're going... They're purposely not trying to make it too Metroid Prime. So Metroid Prime is very organic, very dark, very... You're in this alien world, and there's, it's, like, a living, breathing world. This one is, like, sterile and white, and there's gun turrets, like, in Portal. And it's, like, super clean. Partly, I think, because it's way cheap. cost. <laughs> exactly. But the other reason... The cheapest is, thing to render is nothing at all. Yeah, the cheapest thing to render is a white wall. But uh, I think the other side of it, though, is just, like... It's going to have a really nice frame rate if that's the case. Hopefully. It's going to be all white. Yeah, but uh, what was I going to say when you started saying that? I was going to say, um, I think it's also going to help it get, give it a bit of its own identity if they're really going for the first person. If it's the only thing like that on the Wii U, I mean... It already isn't. Yeah. It already isn't, because there's Cube Director's Cut coming out. And yes, uh, I know Cube is true. technically a puzzle, first-person puzzle game along the lines of Portal, but if someone puts this si- sink side-by-sides with Cube, they look pretty similar. Cube well, just looks like a more colorful sink. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, did you mean just between those two? There aren't that many things oh, like yeah, on the Wii U. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there aren't that many things on the Wii U to begin with. Period. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, there, yeah, this, and it's just, like, it's cool to see, much in the same way it was cool to see that one lady just being like, I'm going to make a game and making a game. It's really cool to see that these, whoever they are, are kind of like, I'm going to make, like, this crazy thing, and it's going to take a ton of work, but I'm going to still pull it off on a relatively, you know, shoestring budget. Hopefully more than shoestring, but... <laughs> But yeah, it's just it, that's what's so interesting about indie games to me. Like that's I don't know. I it's not intentional, but the show has like this podcast is straight way into indie into like the weeds of indie games in the last like six months. In part because what else is there to talk about in the world of Nintendo right now? Absolutely nothing. But also because like that's just interesting. Like the fact that anyone at, in their house can just be like, "I'm gonna make, I've got to run," and then a whole team of guys can be like, "You know what? We're gonna make our own Metroid Prime." Like, it's yeah. just cool that they can do that now. We could just do it. Like, we've reached a point where the technology is affordable enough that people can do it. And Nintendo's mm-hmm. giving out kits for free, with software for free. Like, it just, it's all coming together in an interesting way. Yeah, I mean, between Unity, Blender, and a lot of other free CG programs, you yeah. can make anything. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of know firsthand, because you do, you do animation. I mean, granted, it's hand-drawn, but you're in that world and know about those programs. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a lot of, right? There is a lot no, of stuff Yeah, now. you can make stuff in Maya, like, I've... I mean, I've played with Maya. Well, I mean, I've animated in Maya a little bit, but yeah, it's definitely doable. Especially if you have like a lot of people that know code and like a really good level design. It's just, you could definitely right. Yeah, you, basically, you need people that know how like handle like how to build a game, and then the art kind of makes itself. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make itself, well, but like but... It, you know, you need talent. But it's like it's it's not a hurdle like it used to be. Nope. You just need people that can code, and the thing is, with all those. Like current campaigns to get kids to learn to code, make your games like gonna be basically like a piece of cake in five or ten years. I could make a joke about the cake being alive, but I'll choose not to. I trying to find a, <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to fit egg in there, but I can't. Well, I mean, you need egg in the in the for some cakes you need well, egg in the, well, without in being the forced, but... batter. Yeah, I'll save that for later. All right, fine. All right. So yeah, so that's sink. Um, I guess <laughs> I mean, there's not much to say about it. But it's just you know, it's just it really well, I mean, shows. It's still like I think they barely. I, oh yeah, yeah, they have a screenshot. I think it combined with uh, I've got to run embody. Even though neither of them were at GDC, the fact that they came, were announced during GDC and like I think they embody what GDC is all about. Now the, the real big thing about GDC is of course the developers themselves. And one piece of news that came out of GDC 
was just that, which was a guy who we all know, or at least the games, we know his games, and he is making a major change in how he's going to make games. And that's uh, Koji Igarashi. He's the man behind Konami's Castlevania games. He stars Symphony, Symphony of the Night up through uh, all the DS ones. He 3DS too? No. Lord of, uh, Lord of Shadows, Mirror of Fate was made by Mercury Steam, a Western developer. Oh. But Igarashi, or Iga as he was nicknamed, IGA. No one mishear that, please. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he's been like the head of the... He made Castlevania into Metroidvania. He's responsible for Castlevania in its current form. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he's been at Konami for like over 20 years. He was in charge of all his games. And then Konami decided to shift over to making like Lord of Shadows and Mirror of Fate and all that. And he kind of fell to the wayside. And he eventually was like, you know what? I see like other developers going and starting their own things. So I'm going to do that too. And I'm going to make the game I want to make. So he announced at GEC and had a panel looking back at Castlevania and the history of it that he's now off on his own. He left Konami as of March 15th and he's just doing his own thing now. And what's cool about that is that it means we might get a really good Metrovania soon, similar to how, uh, you know, Comcept and Kiji, Keiji... Inafune. Thank you, Inafune. See, I know the guy, I just don't know, I just don't know how to say his name. Yeah, kind of like how Inafune did uh, My Number 9, which is literally Mega Man. It's as close to being Mega Man as it can without being a legal issue. I guarantee <laughs> you that uh, Igarashi's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to make a Castlevania as close to being Castlevania as possible without actually being Castlevania. So, I mean, he even said that part of the reason he was inspired to step down from Konami is he saw what Inafune did with Concept of My Number 9. He's like, oh, I can do that too. I will do that. I will do that. I will leave now. But, I mean, to his, cre- like, to his credit, he was... Capcom was not taking advantage of his talent. Like, this guy was responsible for so many hit Castlevania games and so many really good Castlevania games. I love the DS Castlevania, but... Well, I mean, how did they sell, though? I mean, what? they could be really good They games, sold but... well enough that there are, like, four of them on the DS. The 3DS one bombed, relatively. But, I mean, it wasn't really the same. What about the Mega Man guy in the Fune? What about him? I mean... Do you happen to know if the Mega Man games were, like, doing not so well so uh, Clearly not well enough for Cap- for Capcom to keep the series alive. Because yeah. now all Mega Man is is, like, little random merchandise on the Capcom Unity store. And the Mega Man board game. Thing. And the Mega Man board game. Yeah, and was like, <laughs> Capcom, we want a new Mega Man game. And you're like, well, guess what? Here's a physical one. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk about trolling your fans. Can we get a new Mega Man game? Sure, we hope you like games from the 1950s before electronics were a thing. <laughs> just like it's so weird. Why would they do that? I don't get it. But as long um, as they have um, Street Fighter and Ace Attorney doing well, that's I, I, that's I, all I, I, I can never be mad at Capcom. Well, hey, Ace Attorney—they're making another one for 3DS. Is announced in the last Nintendo Direct in Japan. I think we talked about it, but yeah, but, uh, right now everything released thus far has been amazing, so I can't really complain. Yeah, well, Cap. See, that's the thing. And Konami releases good games too, but then they do weird things. Like, why did they feel the need to westernize? I do know why, actually. They westernized Castlevania, and that's why Igarashi left, because he's like, this isn't the Castlevania I made, or I want to make, and that's because games from Japan in general, I feel like, are falling to the wayside now a lot. Like, the the rise of the Western developer, like, this past generation has been definitely noticeable. Final Fantasy doesn't sound like it used to at all. Like, Final Fantasy's, like, kind of a dead franchise, relatively speaking. And then, like, Castlevania is now super westernized. Metal Gear Solid does well, because it's very, like, western-friendly. Uh, Resident Evil, Capcom keeps changing it to try and make it more Western friendly. Yeah, I mean, Turning into a third person like action. They straight out said we want the Call of Duty. Audience. Yeah, even like, though they he recently said um, I forgot his name, Megami or something. Yeah, Megami. Yeah, that they want to make. Megami. Yeah, they want to go back to the roots, but I feel like 
We keep hearing that over. Well, and over. Megami doesn't actually. He's making a C. The thing about Megami is I don't believe he's at Capcom anymore. He left and did Platinum Games for a while, and then I don't know where he is now. But I think he's saying he's going to do his own game. That's going to be tradition, or he's making a game separate from Capcom. That's a horror game. That's traditional Resident Evil style, mm-hmm. similar to how Inafune is doing his My Number Nine. Yeah, I mean it's not like we don't. Um, I mean, I feel like there's already a lot of like good horror games for people to play that yeah. aren't Resident Evil. I mean, you have Outlast. You have. Um, the amnesia games. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the free um, Slenderman. If you really want, oh yeah, like well, a quick Slenderman's fix. bizarre. I, mean, I remember Conan O'Brien did. He, you know, that Clueless Gamer segment he does, or basically for those who haven't heard about it, Conan O'Brien can't play video games. I mean, he can, but he doesn't. So he has no skill, and he does this bit with one of his staffers, who I've actually met, and. Uh, Basically, they play video games, and Conan ridicules them and sucks at them. And they played Slender Man, and mm. he freaked him out. He did not like it. He's like, "This is super real. Why would anyone play this?" Like, I don't understand. But Slender Man made it onto national television for like two minutes. I was kind of impressed that it mm. got that big, that Conan O'Brien was playing it. But, uh, but yeah, just in terms of like Western games in general, like it, there's definitely been like a monumental shift in the game industry from like away from the super, like, quirky Japanese games or games out of Japan into, like, here's what Americans and Europeans want. Like, here's your in-your-face action, like, super mature and edgy and dark. And I wonder, I mean, this is totally just hypothetical. It's probably not true, but I wonder if that's part of the reason that we're seeing some stuff from Nintendo not selling as well as it used to. Because even, like, 10-year-old boys are like, I gotta play Call of Duty Ghosts. How many of them are like, I gotta visit the Mushroom Kingdom as Toad? Like... I feel like the audience, because kids only always one out of like maybe the oh yeah, 30... you work with kids that age. Yeah, yeah, like that age group. Yeah, they've only talked about Call of Duty and Angry Birds. So Angry Birds and Minecraft. Well, Angry Birds is different because it's like oh, it's on their phone. It's on their parents' phone. Yeah. They can play. Yeah, I think they're they're Minecraft. It's on yeah. their phone. It's on their everything. Yeah, Minecraft bucks this trend I was just describing about like everything's dark and edgy because Minecraft is like the polar opposite. But like, there's no. I mean, it's dark in the sense that like at night you can get attacked, I guess. But it's definitely more. It kind of bucks the whole trend I'm talking about. But even then, that's a Swedish game? Is it Swedish? Is Notch from Sweden? I have no idea. Honestly. He's some Scandinavian country. But, uh, yeah, and that's like that's from the West as well. Like, Japanese games are definitely kind of falling to the wayside, mm-hmm. which is why we're seeing developers like Igarashi bringing it back to that. Why he's going on his own. Because he's like, well, I know there's an audience, and if a developer doesn't want to support us, I will go to them directly. Mm-hmm. And that's like all those, whoops, all those Kickstarter projects are popping up because of that. So... I mean, the thing is, um, I'm sure whatever he does is going to be super awesome. So, And that's also, I think, tying into indie games now that I think about it. I think that might also be why indie games are getting more prevalent. Because it's like, these developers are like, I want to make this quirky game, I want to make that quirky game, I want to make this game that traditionally in like the N64 days would come from a big Japanese developer. But no publisher will sign me up because it's not a major, it's not going to sell 10 million copies, which is their current goal for every single game. Yeah, what but they- it could sell 200,000 copies. And I can make it on a cheap budget thanks to Unity and on the Wii U where I get it for free. And, you know, like that, it all kind of is one big shift that's happening. I think it's all interconnected. Yeah, I mean, how did it, how did that thing go? Maybe it's not even a thing, but just like when you're trying to make a game to make money, you're not going to get the most creative idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's the same, but that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think it all kind of ties together. So, yeah. we're, it's a very interesting time for the industry because not only is there like that situation, but we also have the issue of, um, consoles are not the sole gaming devices they used to be like everyone has games on everything now literally on an airplane like when i was flying to new york a few weeks ago on an airplane 
they had games on the screen on the back of the seat. Okay, like, really? Like a touch screen? Yeah, it's a touch screen. Oh, wow. It was, it was a nice, like, almost 20-inch across in diameter. Good touch screen. It has a cool sensor, so, like, if you move towards it, it'll light up all the button, all the capacitive buttons on the bottom of the screen, so you can, like, turn on the light on the seat and everything super easily. Yeah, Delta has cool screens. Wow. But, no, they had games. Like, I mean, granted, they weren't, like, crazy complicated games, but, like, you can have games on everything, and the games on most non-game systems are now legitimate games. Angry Birds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Flappy Bird, Tiny Wing. I could keep naming bird games, but I'll stop there. I forgot about Tiny Wing. I felt like that barely was a thing. Tiny Wing was a huge thing, like two years into the iPhones for like. Oh, um, and then I have a smartphone at that time. That's probably why yeah. I don't. Remember. It was a. It didn't blow up like Angry Birds, but it was like the next big game at one point. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so in terms of the garage, I guess the one final thing is well, one, I'm looking forward to whatever we're doing. Two, I have a bit of an anecdote about him. At Comic-Con in 2006, he watched me play his Castlevania game from afar, and he was wearing a cowboy hat. That's my whole story. He was about two kiosks away from me. It was him and his translator. I was playing the game, the demo of Castlevania. I don't remember which one, but it was fun. And then I glance up, and I just see him and the translator just pointing at me and talking. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And the guy, and Igarashi used to, I don't know if he still does, but he's notorious wearing giant cowboy hats. So I knew it was him. I'm like, who else is going to wear, what other Japanese guy with long hair is going to be standing next to Castlevania with a cowboy hat? Probably like, who's that kid? Why is he so bad at my game? Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. They're probably like, what is he doing? <laughs> doesn't he know, doesn't he know how to like play video games? <laughs> he's hitting the power button repeatedly, expecting something to happen besides the screen turning off. But, uh, he hasn't left the tutorial stage. Yeah. He doesn't need to know the touch screen's the bottom screen. He keeps touching the top. But no, it, uh, yeah, they were just watching me, and I, I kind of nodded as I walked away, just like, I, yeah, I know who you are, and you know, I'm back, and that was it. But yeah, that's my interaction with him. So, cool story, right? Yeah. Want to hear it again? No, but it did remind me how annoying <laughs> it was when people, like, the first thing they would do is tap your top, your top screen, the top screen, whenever they would see your DS for the first time. Oh, that was the worst. It was like, oh, the top of the touch screen? Like, no, and then they would still tap it. They did it with it. the 3DS, too. I remember showing off, showing off the 3DS to friends, like, like check out the 3D effect, and they'd all be like, oh, so they're both touch screens now? I'm like, no, one's 3D. How are you going to touch 3D space? And and they, like, oh, and they just keep pressing it. I'm like, no, stop. Got all smudged. But anyway. Really, we had to buy a new one. Well, I thought the same one, but yeah, you replaced it because of that. No, I didn't. I replaced it because I always had to have the latest Nintendo hardware with the exception of the 2DS, which is too much of a downgrade. Actually, the, T- the 2DS is like a side grade. You never got the uh, DSi XL. That's true, but I have almost every single other. I have every version of Game Boy Advance, including the player. I have all the DSs except the XL. I have both 3DSs and not the 2DS. Yeah, I'm okay, batting average. Um, but yeah, so back to news, though. There is one final bit of indie news, which isn't as positive as, like, you know, cool new projects from Igarashi or, or new games like Sync. And that's that Shovel Knight, Kickstarter darling Shovel Knight, got delayed. So Ridge Rent was supposed to be out on March 31st, which is, like, a week from now. But uh, the developers over at Yacht Club Games announced that they are pushing it back a few weeks. That's what they said, quote, a few weeks, in order to polish it up some more. There's some stuff they wanted to work out before I submitted it to Nintendo, including, uh, let's see, what did they say? Things like last-minute level tweaks and balancing gameplay and fine-tuning the dialogue and scripted events. I mean, so, considering they've met every single one of their stretch goals and everything, and yeah. at this point, they could take as long as they want. I guess. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, it's just kind of a bummer that it happened. Because, like, remember in February, maybe January, we were we were doing this very show, the Random Podcast, and we were like, man... There's no first part games out, but there's these, all these indie games coming out in March. We're going to have so many games to play. Well, so far, Armello's been delayed to May. Shovel Knight's been delayed whatever a few weeks is. Ballpoint Adventure's been delayed whatever it's been delayed. I don't think... I think maybe two of the games that are supposed to come out in March have actually come out. Pure Chess and Unepic. 
Oh no, Anapa came out in January. We already that one mm. long ago. But there was like Pokemon Trophy, but that's not well, really that's not I know, I know, I know. But Pokemon Battletrophy. Although speaking of Battletrophy, we will have impressions of Battletrophy next episode for anyone that's curious and doesn't want to just take bite the bullet and buy it now. So if you want to wait two weeks, we'll have those impressions. We just didn't have a chance to play it before uh, we record since it comes out on Thursday, podcast goes up on Sunday. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we were supposed to have, like, a ton of high-profile indie games. And I don't think any, I don't think very many, if any, came out. So now, I guess, April, May, June are the hot indie months. But then that bumps into Mario Kart. So it's just kind of like, I guess we're in the drought again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we clearly are if we're doing an episode with zero Wii U game impressions. It just dawned on me. This is the first time in a while we've only had 3DS games to talk about. But, uh, yeah, so that's just something to keep in, keep in mind is those games are still coming. It's just who knows when. Uh, outside of GEC, outside of indie games, there was a couple n- tidbits of news about traditional video games, like major publisher video games. One of which you would be surprised we're covering, but it's actually a solid game. And that's that uh, the One Piece series is getting a new entry on 3DS and Wii U here in North America and Europe called One, P- one Piece Unlimited World Red. Mm. Now the red is for Redefined. I yeah, don't want to break like, wasn't it. Wasn't there already to... an, un- an unlimited world? Or... Yeah, I think that's the name of the franchise, actually. But oh. Red is for Redefined, which... Uh, I'm sorry, Namco Bandai, but no one abbreviates Redefined to Red. That's such English. It sounded like such a... Such English. Like a version type. Yeah, like Pokemon. Yeah. But, you know, because it's like in the trailer, if you watch the trailer, it's like Redefined, and then Efine fades away, and it's just like Red. And it's like, mm. no, no one does that. But the thing about these games are they're actually solid games. Like, the two on Wii were actually really good games. Like, uh, basically, they're, they're adventure games. You're exploring an island. You're doing, you know, you, you progress through game. You fight bosses and whatnot. But you also can do side quests like just catching bugs and going fishing and just exploring. And junior year of college, one of my housemates in the apartment I was living in was completely obsessed with this game. And I would watch him play it. It actually is, and, you know, play it myself a little, and it actually is surprisingly fun. Like, even though it's one piece and you might not care about anime or whatever, it's a good game. Like, it's a, it's, it's kind of like Zelda-esque at times, and just kind of third-person action-adventure. I liked it. Yeah, it's funny how, like, how easily you could overlook some games just because they... Because of the license. Because they're, yeah, because like, oh, I don't care about that TV show. I mean, whether you hate it or not. Yeah. I mean, like, the Naruto Clash of Ninja games for the GameCube, mm. they were really fun and solid. They're really good but, fighting yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah, one of like my friends in high school. They were just really good. One of my friends in high school really had like fun. three of them, and I, we literally played for like hours. I'm not even exaggerating. They're shockingly good. Naruto's voice is also shockingly annoying, but the games are <laughs> shockingly good. Uh, no, but uh, so for Red, what they're doing is they're gonna keep the same basic idea as the um, you know the other One Piece game. So it is still gonna be you're exploring, you're fishing, you're doing whatever. But the new thing they're adding is co-op play, and they're adding a central town square where like you get your missions from. So you're not quite on Isolated Island, like, in the past games. But, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, there's not, you know, it's kind of like, why are we even bringing this up besides that's a decent game? It's just like, you know, we're at the point with the Wii U where just having games is kind of cool, but when you have a licensed game that turns out to be a legitimately good game, it's worth, you know, it's worth mentioning at this point. Like, it's, there's not a whole lot to choose from, and you're going to overlook, like you said, it's easy to overlook licensed games. So, this is just a heads up that, hey, this one's probably going to be a good one. So, but but I'm sure a lot of people, uh, Namco Bandai, by the way, is making it. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they heard me say Namco Bandai and Wii U in the same sentence, immediately thought Super Smash Bros., which is Namco Bandai's other big Wii U project they're developing for Nintendo. And, of course, as we do every episode, we have a summary of what Mas- Masahiro Sakurai, the series head of Smash Bros., has been me-versing about 
Is me versing a word? Is me versing a verb yet? Uh, Are we at that point? Like when social media gets big enough, it becomes its own verb. Is me versing a thing? Is it just versing? Am I kneeing? That's me versing. Me versing. Yeah. Well, it could be many things. That's true. Uh, That's very true. (laughs) So Sakurai has been talking Smash Bros. Of course. And, uh... Even going as far as faking out people. Yeah, that was, that was funny. Yeah, his last post, which actually went up this past Friday, uh, when this episode goes up, uh, he posted a picture of... Phosphora. Yeah, Phosphora from uh, Kid Icarus Uprising, one of the bosses. And he just posted a picture, and then when you click, and it's just like... a close-up of her. Yeah, it's just like, hey, this is the goss of whatever, goss of light, or electricity, Phosphora, whatever her name is. And then you click it, and there's a second screenshot under it, like as a comment, and he's like, "And she's a, and she's a trophy," and that is it. Which also, by the way, is a nice reconfirmation that trophies are coming. He showed that, and he showed Fat Little Wait, Mac. The the picture, or at least like the trophy of Phosphora, it looked. Did it say what console it was for? Because it looked like it was Wii U. Wii U. Weird, it says like, Wii U in the corner. Yeah, but I, I thought there were supposed to be exclusive trophies. I mean, no trophy. Uh, yeah, he did say that's true. He and, said, "Well, he said some stuff will be exclusive to each." No. I, all. The exclusivity is exclusive in and of itself. Not everyone's exclusive. Yeah, because that's weird. Because I mean, that one, like, I mean, like the whole Legend of Zelda thing that we talked about last time, like that, like, yeah, your oh, your, your right, argument, right, your, your argument right. made sense. But this one is like Kid Icarus Uprising is a straight up 3DS game. Unless you're not yeah. talking about that. Oh, just the Kid Icarus brand. I think. Well, it's, it's even it's an original pet, character to the 3DS. I'm game. pretty sure it's because it's his pet project. Yeah, the same way, both, the same way that there's three Kirby characters. In Smash Bros, when Kirby as a series is much smaller than some games that only have one or two characters in Smash Bros. Well, I mean, Pokemon has like four. Yeah. Technically five or six if you count. Yeah, and Mario has like four. But like, Pikmin has, well, Pikmin can only have one. Well, I guess unless you want to count Wario and Yoshi separate since they have their own icon. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, Kirby gets some preference. Donkey Kong is sometimes technically. DK does not get much credit. There's only Diddy and Donkey. There's so many Kongs to choose from. Donkey yeah, Kong is but, a much bigger franchise only, than Kirby, but Kirby's better represented than the Donkey Kong. The only other ones that I feel like would make sense would just be like Dixie and Funky. But think about it. I don't even really consider like I don't know the weird like I don't really consider like think about it. you can also canon but think about it, in the same vein like if you're playing a Kirby game how many times are you gonna go oh Meta Knight should have been in Smash Bros back when in like the N64 day. like no one would have thought of that like he could do something know. crazy with Lanky Kong Maybe or that was the Tiny Kong which is just Kirby Kitty fan. Kong again. I mean, I love Kirby, but, like, yeah. I'm sure if I... Oh, I have nothing... Don't get me wrong. I have absolutely nothing against there being so many Kirby characters. I'm saying because it's Sakurai's baby, he gives it extra attention. Same with Kama Kid Icarus. Uprising's his baby. So I'm sure that's why... Do you think the average, though? I mean, there's, what? like... There's, like, more Zelda characters than there are Kirby characters. There's as many Star Fox characters as there are Kirby characters. If anything, it's, like, the norm. Oh, it's either right. three or more or one. That's or true. two. That's true. Well, oh, okay. So it's anything from one to oh, more than three. I know, but I mean that's like, helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are more genres I feel with more than. Yeah, I guess. Character. I guess my point was just that, like Kirby Def. Okay, Subspace Emissary is a Kirby game. Yeah. Yeah, it's because he makes Kirby. Well, yeah, he I mean, made Kid Icarus. Well, so we can't expect giving, him to make like yeah. a different kind of platform. Well, sure, and... sure you can. Just because he made one once doesn't mean you know. What, do you expect? Did you expect Kid, Kid well, no, Icarus no. to be Smash Bros? Like, it wasn't, and it was no, the no, same no. guy. Well, I mean, we got, like, the exact same menus. That's we got the same mean. menus in the same trophy system concept of, or collect-a-thon concept of all these little things. Oh, yeah, yeah. but I mean, like, if I'm, like, I mean, he's making his fighting game, I'm like, oh, man, I want to make a completely good fighting game and this original 
platform. 2D side scrolling. I mean, of course, it's just gonna like be curvy. Yeah. You're like, well, point being, I think she, I think this character has what a trophy. Are we talking about? I think oh. this character has a trophy <laughs> in both, simply because it's his pet project. And he could do whatever he wants. And he could do what he wants because he's Sakurai. Yeah. I'm sure they're gonna he pitch. Break me- his own I'm, rules. I'm sure they're in a pitch meeting. <laughs> him and the developers. Like, just picture it. It's a boardroom. Lots of Nintendo plushes everywhere. A big. The ceiling is painted like the galaxy, the Mario Galaxy sky, naturally, right? And he's there, and they're talking about characters and trophies, and he goes, I want... What's the character's name? Phosphorus? Phosphorus. Phosphorus. Phosphorus is a thing. I want Phosphora in the Wii U version of Smash Bros. as, an, as a trophy. Now, I guess it's a trophy, just a trophy. And they go, but Sakurai, your own rules. I'd stay on page 16 of our, of our binder handout. Clearly stay. And he just goes, I'm, I'm Sakurai, damn it. You do what I say. That's what I think happens. Every single time. That's my theory. And I wait, I'm going to wait until someone proves me wrong, but I'm assuming that's what happens. No. He, he really does what he wants and he slams his hand on a table and causes people's ears to pop when they're listening to him like I'm sure I just did people with headphones but uh yeah so that's what he confirmed trophies by doing that and the other trophy he confirmed actually is Fat Lil Mac yep Fat Lil Mac for those that don't know so is Captain from Rainbow, Captain right? Rainbow on the Wii which was this bizarre weird quirky game we talked about in an extra back in april of last year called uh i think it was april called lost in translation definitely check it out captain i would have loved for captain rainbow to come to america it's like so bizarre it's so japanese which is probably why it didn't but um yeah it's an island of b tier and c tier nintendo characters which is what Lil mac was prior to punch out coming back on wii and you know he's no longer boxing so he gets fat he gets a trophy to celebrate his fatness in Smash Bros. But yeah, so um, those were the two trophies he announced, but he actually announced some things of actual significance. I just said actually like six times in the last two <laughs> sentences. Uh, so the, he, there's some new 3DS stages, and there's some returning items, and there's some upgraded attacks. So we should probably start with the big ones, which are the 3DS stages. Um, Sakurai first showed off a city based on Lu- or a city, a stage based on Lumio City, which you may know as the hub city the Paris-like Sometimes city of Pokemon to navigate and until, like, you yeah. figure out the Google Much way. like Paris itself. Paris yeah. itself has a... European cities in general are really confusing because they have all these weird winding back paths and streets. Yeah, because, I mean, like, it's a nice, elegant circle, but, I don't know, it looks... Every avenue looks identical except for, like, the color. So if you're not really paying attention to the signs, you're going to get lost. That's yeah. That's true with Europe in general. No. When I was in Italy a year ago, there's some parts of Italy. I mean, some of it was very grid-like, like, more modern. But there are some parts of, like, Venice that... Actually, no. I take that back. All of Venice is a giant maze. Literally just a maze. And sometimes you're walking, and then suddenly there's a canal, and there's nowhere for you to go anymore, because the, the walkway just ends at the canal. It's like, not even going to build a bridge, guys. I see the canal, or the walkway on the other side. How do I get there? It's it's insane. But anyway, so yeah, Luminous City is kind of like that. But for Smash Bros., um, we, it's not exactly clear how it's going to work. He made a comment about how just a few seconds ago they were fighting on top of the central like, prism tower. I feel like that implies it's going to be like the Dauphino Island Yep, stage. that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's a stage where you fly around. A lot of the stages feel like they're going to be like that. Yeah, not a lot, but the two he showed, two of the ones he showed off for sure. Mm. Um, but one stage he showed off. So Luna say that that's kind of cool and it's very relevant and new. A lot, I feel like with Smash Bros they're always like a generation behind. Like they reference things from the previous generation, but this one's like not even a year old, so that's kind of nice. Yeah. But uh, the second one he showed, this one's a little more confusing. He showed a uh, a new stage. It was a screenshot of Animal Crossing Villager and Wii Fit Trainer just standing in a bat- like He called it a bachelor pad. It's basically a one-room house with some cool furniture. 
Could be Animal Crossing, but probably isn't because we already have Tormor Island. So what I'm thinking is it must be based on like Tomodachi like, yeah. Connection, the... which is Friend Connection, yeah. which is that weird... It's basically Animal Crossing with Mies, and it uses voice recognition, and it's huge in Japan. And Nintendo, according to Wall Street Journal a few months ago, Nintendo's working to bring it to America somehow, but obviously if it's voice-based, it's going to take some work. But uh, whatever it ends up being, it's like I said, it's huge in Japan, so it would make sense that that would be the stage. And it did look different enough from an Animal Crossing level. Like, the furniture and stuff looked a little too real for Animal Crossing. You know yeah. what I mean? The way so, some of the stuff with the range, too, that you can't really do that in Animal Crossing. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's Tomodachi, uh, Tomo, yeah, Tomodachi uh, Connection is the stage. But he didn't yeah. say. So, who knows? For all we know, it's a complete fake-out, and it's got to be, like, Mario's house or something. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Mario, though, that leads us to our third stage, which is the only one he actually explained in any amount of detail. And it's based on Super Mario 3D Land, and it's called... Super Mario 3D Land. He, he that Sakurai sure is a clever guy. Yeah. He he just rips off his own Kirby game. He names game. He names stages right after the game. Considering like how amazing. much information he gave us on the first stage on Monday, kind of like showed like oh, oh like oh there's a lot of this is a pretty big post, and then the rest of the posts were kind of just like just kind of random. Yeah, and... yeah. He doesn't usually go into that much detail, but what he did is he posted the Mario 3D sta- 3D Land stage, and then posted like four more screenshots showing you each. Variant, because what it is, is like most Mario stages and most Smash Bros. games, you scroll from sp- from spot to spot, or you move from spot to spot. You're not flying on a platform like Del Amo. This is more like the dead Mushroom Kingdom, or whatever it was called in Brawl. Forgotten? Forgotten Mushroom Kingdom, where it's just kind of scrolling. So you'll start in front of Peach's Castle, and there'll be blocks stuff you can jump on, then you move on to these platforms in a canyon, and then move on to these other ones, and then you end up on these other platforms with the giant spikes that shoot at you in the new Super Mario Bros. series and 3D, 3D Land. And they're coming up from the bottom as you're fighting. So that's probably the most concrete he, info he's given mm-hmm. about any stage ever. But yeah, it is kind of cool that, at least in that part, he's sticking with handheld gets handheld, console gets console, because 3D land. It's making it hard for me handheld. to not want to get the 3DS one. I've already accepted the fact I'm buying both on day one, simultaneously. Um. Especially because he said there will be some sort of crosstalk. I don't know if you remember, but he, he did go on record saying that there's going to be some sort of. Um, communication between the two games where you there can transfer be. stuff I mean yeah there has to be it wouldn't make sense I do I do find it interesting though that a lot of people were kind of freaking out like, why do you keep showing 3DS stages why all the 3DS stages uh, well two things one up until now it's been like practically all Wii U up until like a month ago so it's about time we got 3DS like right it seemed weird that it's literally oh, all Wii U at I don't mind it <laughs> yeah and two hey break it people but 3DS is the thing that more people own the Wii U isn't exactly a huge seller 40 million people have 3DSs. So if you're trying to pitch a game, it usually helps to pitch the version that will sell to the people that will buy it. Like, what good is it to be like, hey, check out this Wii U game. Oh, right. I mean, I granted, a lot of people are going to be like, but that's going to make them buy a Wii U. Or that's good, you know? Yeah. But well, the I mean, flip side of that is they want also sell to people that have the systems. So yeah. even, if, even if the Wii U version is, like, I guess, the, Superior. the main one, yeah. the more important one. Or... But for marketing, 3DS yeah. might be more important. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I bet you Nintendo has a somewhat... Somewhat accurate logic of, hey, if we can get 3DS owners to buy the 3DS version and the 3DS version pimps out the Wii U version because it has all this connectivity and all this cool stuff, it'll motivate them to go buy a Wii U and get the Wii U version. So this could be a very, like, they could be playing the long game here in terms of, like, they're not just trying to get people to buy a 3DS game, they're trying to then convince them to buy a Wii U and the Wii U version all in one, like, shot. Like, all in one continuous linear path of actions. So, path of actions. I'm on fire with my bad speaking today. So, um, so yeah, that's why I think they're showing so much. I have no problem with them showing 3DS stuff. I mean, they showed so much Wii U up till now. That's only right. 
But he also, along with the stages, he also um, talked about a few returning items. There's not really much to say, but motion sensing bomb is back. The smash ball for triggering final smashes. As if we didn't know it would be back, it's back. And it looks identical. And the motion bomb looks totally different. And, uh, yes, as we already mentioned, trophies yeah. not, are, are for sure in there. And uh, one thing that probably won't be returning, though, while that is back, is um, Solid Snake as a playable character. Or Snake, as most people call him. So it turns out that... Uh, he, uh, Godino? Yeah, thank you. What's his first name? Hideo? Hideo. Hideo. I'm so American. Hideo Kojima. <laughs> yeah, uh, hit, what is it? <laughs> Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima. You know what's worse? I've met this guy. I have a photo of me and him. I can't even say his name right. Uh, yeah, Hideo Kojima. Hideo. Hideo. Is it Hideo? Like video? Right, well, so what about Kojima. Him? Kojima was doing an interview with uh, Jeff Keighley. My, my Twitter buddy, Jeff Keighley. Uh, <laughs> and it was on Twitch. It was uh, last Thursday, I think. And during the interview, Smash Bros. came up. Someone asked about Smash Bros. And Kojima said... He's not working with on gangs like he has no involvement in Smash Bros at the moment. So unless Sakurai suddenly reaches out to him, odds are there won't be Snake in the game. He'd love for Snake to be in the game, but Snake won't be in the game as of right now, which I can't say is surprising. I mean, when they put Snake in Brawl at that point, he was recently in Metal Gear Solid: The Twin Snakes on GameCube, so he had a Nintendo connection, a recent Nintendo connection. But ever since then, all his games, all Snake's games, including the just released Ground Zero. Uh, has Ground only Zero's... Ground Zeroes plural. You're right. Have only been on competing consoles. So why would Nintendo want to promote this character that only appears on other people's consoles? Mm. That's my. I. I mean, I could be wrong. He could end up in the game, but I'd be kind of surprised to be honest. Yeah, I don't know because like, he's a fun I, character. I, mean, I feel like for the most part, um, they don't want to let any programming go to waste. So any character that's way too unique, they're just gonna want to throw in there somehow. They'll replace so him. That, with... that's, 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 so either he's going to be in the game or they're going to get someone else that will fit that moveset pretty well so if... that they don't have to call it Snake. But, I mean, obviously they'll change some things, but, I mean, he won't have, like, the, the taunts and stuff. But I feel like, I mean... If do, Ubisoft and Nintendo are still on good terms, like, because you know how Ubisoft's slowly backing away from Wii U, if they're still on good terms, when Smash comes out, it could easily be Sam Fisher. Yeah. Sam Fisher is just a French... Well, he's American, but he's he's a French-made Solid Snake. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt we're not going to... I doubt... I'm pretty sure we're still going to see that move sit in the game somewhere. Yeah, and, and honestly, Snake is really fun to play, so it is kind of a bummer. I'm not shocked if he'd be gone. It kind of sucks that Kojima said as much, He feels a pretty... He's a fun character, yeah, he's a, he, and he's really unique. He, definitely, yeah. I mean, he was, like, the only, like, pretty much all projectile. Yeah. Or, you know, trap lane. Yeah, he... It was definitely a really a strong triple lane. Oh yeah, God. and he was definitely, no. like, different from everything else in Smash Bros. To the point where I also felt like he was... Cherry picked out a different game and just plopped in. He also felt kind of weird looking just because he was like the most pr- human proportion. He looked like a normal human. He made everyone else look weird. He made him. Mario look particularly weird. Yeah. Like Mario's nose was the size of Snake's entire head. <laughs> like it was, it was weird. But yeah, so I don't know if Snake... I mean, I honestly don't know if Snake's going to be back. But as of right now, it's not happening. Um, one other thing though that Sakurai did touch on that in Miiverse that is happening is um, some returning moves. Because like you said... No no one on that development team seems to want to let any move go to waste. So we now know a bit more about some enhanced character moves that are coming down the pipe. Uh, Zelda's Din Fire, which is that projectile fire you can do with side B, that's now more powerful. And it can, know, it can travel it'll... further, and if you land it, the core of the attack on the opponent, it'll be a bigger explosion. No, but that's it. It sounded like um, he said that it'll only do significant if you land it on the core. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it more be, powerful like... if you nail it, basically. Yeah, th- I know, but it also sounded like he said it won't really do much if like, you hit him on the outside. Right. Because, I mean, I've... Before, at least in Brawl, 
Like, if they barely touch, like, that sphere that you hit on, like, you pretty much, like, just stops you completely. True. And you could also spam it pretty fast in Brawl. And this right. one, I think he said that was more... It didn't... I don't know. I remember reading that it was implied that it wasn't as spammable. He already wrote a sentence. He got a lot of that sentence. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? <laughs> it might have been two sentences. But no, it, it, it sounded like, yeah, they're tweaking it, so if you nail... If you get it right, you get it right. But if you get it wrong, it's like, nothing happens. Yeah. That's how I interpreted it, I guess. And the other character is getting a bit more of an explosive move. Similar scenario, though, is Diddy Kong, in that uh, if his peanut gun hits... You know, if the peanut he fires from his peanut popper hits full four like hits dead on it's gonna cause an actual explosion otherwise maybe no i think that was if it was his gun explodes wasn't it no i think it was did i misread it pretty sure it was his gun exploding. did i misread it hold on oh shit and now we're and now we're at the part of the podcast where we both silently <laughs> look at me verse huh, uh, i was right oh is it it's a really did i misread it yeah it's a gun exploding bad oh but the gun explosion could cause the character to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, the reason... The thing I was thinking when... That was a great 30 seconds of podcasting. The re- the the thing I was thinking when reading all this, that there are bigger explosions, is is that kind of going to be the hook of this Smash Bros? Bigger explo- Is everything going to be more explosive? Is it going to be less about making an opponent miss the stage and more about making an opponent go flying off the stage? Which has always been key, but it seems like... Between this and some of the other... You're right. I'm reading it right now. Yeah, when it's it explodes, it'll, it'll cause more damage. Yep. That also explains the screenshot why Diddy looks so startled. But, uh, no, but what I was going to say is, is it just me, or is this seem like... Because these aren't the only attacks he said have gotten more powerful, or have caused bigger explosions. Does it seem like they're going to be emphasizing more, like, launching people? And even even uh, Fisher moves for standard attacks. There's now finishers that launch people. Like, is launching going to be a bigger thing? Is sending people flying going to be a bigger thing than just letting them miss the stage or fall off the side or whatever? Like, I don't know how exactly that would work, because it's already a very big component, but it seems like they're positioning everything, so it's more about flashy, giant, throwing across the stage moments. They want to make it more evil-friendly. Which is interesting, because, you know, uh, Smash Bros. Melee was just confirmed for EVO 2014 last week. Not Brawl, though. No, not Brawl. Melee's the go-to for that. Yeah. But still, it's officially on board. Nintendo's okay with it this time around. I know that, because Kit Ellis of uh, Nintendo, you know, the guy who does Nintendo Melee, he tweeted about being at EVO, so... yeah. But, um, that's another person we've seen, by the way. <laughs> this is the... See the guy that you pointed out in the corner when we went yeah, to Yeah, we were thing? at the Nintendo Tetris, uh, the Tetris Axis tweet like, hey, that guy in the corner? That's yeah, I'm like, that guy in the, kill at the corner, that's Kid, I've seen him around. Yeah, I've seen him a couple times at different events. This is getting creepy, I'm just like, I've seen this, this developer here, and I met that developer there, and... Yeah, I'm, go- I'm gonna back off, it's getting creepy. But, uh... No, yeah, I, I really think, like, they're doing some sort of shift in how Smash Bros. is going to play out in terms of, like, attacks and attack strength and ways to kill and whatnot. I don't, I don't know. I might be over-speculating, but there's got to be a reason that all Sakurai's talked about is making attacks more powerful and making finishers and making explosions and never saying anything like, oh, hey, we tweaked this so, like, it does this weaker thing instead but then defends you or, you know, like, some weird... Like, there's never any mention of that. It's all, like, super mm. on-the-offensive, powerful, kind of, kind of wham. Oh, well, uh, just reminds me. I mean, I know it's not Nintendo, but just how... When they were talking about the new version of Street Fighter that's coming out, mm-hmm. they didn't want to nerf anyone. They just wanted to make everyone, I guess, as powerful as, 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 powerful as they can. But I guess, like, instead of nerfing someone, oh, let's make this guy even more, like, buff this move up. So right. Like, yeah. Some yeah, I, like I guess because you can't really sell new defensive moves or weakening someone can't be like hey check out mario his uh his punch is so weak now it sucks <laughs> now you will not want to use it 
Like, Go oh, buy the game. We decreased the knockback on Marsome forward smash by like 10%. Yeah, and, and like those kind of tweaks, like I don't think yeah. no one cares. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people. Do, Let me rephrase: like, no I mean, one cares for it to be a selling point. Yeah, no one's gonna go. Oh, they 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 knock back Mars. Oh, okay, buying five <laughs> copies. Like, fireball no trouble. Like, like Mars fire, yeah. fireball only bounces twice. Oh, I hated when it bounced three. I'm buying ten. Like that. Yeah, that's not gonna not gonna happen. You're right. So I probably am overthinking it. They're probably just highlighting the the big changes. But, you know, with, with that Smash Bros. news, that's pretty much it for the actual video game themselves, game, actual game news. But, of course, there is Jason Sales Corner for February. Oh, boy. You know, you, you really make it sound appealing when you go, oh, boy, ooh, I want to do that. Mm. But, uh, so, February came and went. It was a glorious month of 28 days. Started with a date that was number one and ended with a date that was number 28. And during those 28 days, uh, NPD, as they always do, tracks sales. And for February, they it's actually been pretty good news all around. So overall, the industry actually was up by 42% in sales compared to the year prior. 42% is a rather large number. You don't usually see jumps like that, but primarily because PS4 and Xbox One, which were the number one and two selling systems of the month, respectively. Well, actually, it depends on who you ask. If you're talking raw numbers, Sony claims they sold the most systems. If you're talking money, Microsoft says they sold the most dollars of merchandise under their system no, the console's more expensive exactly so it's total pr spin but you gotta present both sides of the story a little so um that's how next gen get, did of course as is now expected wii u uh it didn't quite burn up the charts but it did get a nice 25 percent bump thanks to uh don Kong country tropical freeze being released so based on a leak figure from february 2013 that puts february 2014's wii u sales at about 82,000 consoles in the month of february which again not great by any means. It could be better. It should be higher. But it's a step in the right direction. Mm. A quarter of a sales bump is definitely a good thing. And hopefully it will continue. Although I don't know what's going to propel it. Because now that Donkey Kong's out, there's nothing to Mario Kart. So we'll see. But uh, it is worth mentioning on the software side, Tropical Freeze led to an even bigger bump. Wii U software sales went up year over year by 180%. Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze sold um, 130,000 copies between physical and digital, which would propel a lot of that growth. Actually, almost all of it. But then again, what is Nintendo comparing it to? In February 2013, there were no new Wii U games released, like physical Wii U games. There was the stuff from launch in November, and then there was LEGO City in March, but there's nothing in January or February. So... It's, I mean, yes, it's great. It's up 108%, but you're basically like, yeah, it sold better than when we didn't release anything. So I guess anything's better than zero, right? Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I mean, the game did well, though. 130,000 copies were sold, like I said, but that was only in the first eight days it was available. So that's a pretty pretty good start. Donkey Kong's a pretty, like, pretty steady performer. You're already, Nintendo always knows that the pro Donkey Kong Country games go so well. I mean, Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D on the 3DS sold like 200,000 copies in like its first week, and that was a port of a two-year-old game. So it's, it's a pretty solid performance. Like, if they need sales, they can just put out a Donkey Kong, and it works. But um, what it didn't do with only 130,000, though, was crack the overall top 10 software chart. It did if the software is listed by SKU instead of lumped by title. So, you know, like, Call of Duty is number one because it has eight different versions all added together. But if you look just at the individual SKUs, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is actually number four for the month. Well, which, on a system that's not selling a ton, pretty, pretty good. Anything else noteworthy on other consoles that came out that could like, compete with it? Ah, uh, in February? I mean, we'll get, well, I mean, no, we'll I mean this three. chart, the, the month's chart was, like, the usual, like, oh, here we go again. Call of Duty was number one. Oh. Lego, uh, the Lego Movie Video Game, which in a past podcast I called the Lego Video Game Movie, 
which is different. Um, the Lego Movie video game actually came in number two. That was like a big February release. But besides that, I don't, I can't think of anything that was major this month that was competed. Bravely Default was the only other one of note, and that actually did land in the overall top ten in spot number ten. But still, it's, it landed in the top ten. It managed to sell two over two hundred thousand units between physical and retail, uh, physical and digital, which is better than what Fire Emblem Awakening did a year ago. Now, if you recall, a couple episodes ago, I was saying Nintendo seems to be mimicking their 2013 lineup strategy in 2014. You know, February means a hardcore RPG strategy game. March is more of a, you know, March is a little more broad of a game. Like, last year was Pokemon Mystery, but kid-friendly. Last year was Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. This year, it's Yoshi's New Island. Like, they're kind of going down this, with the same beats of releases, roughly. Uh, and it looks like it worked for Bravely Default, because it managed to sell more than Fire Emblem. And it was out the exact same number of weeks. Temp- it was the same three-week period, so 10% more. And it's, it's set to continue pacing at, at that higher clip. So so good for Bravely Default. That pretty much guarantees a sequel, because the developers said that the sequel coming out in Japan, Bravely Default for the second, I think that's what it's called. Uh, the, weird, the weird name. I know. Well, Bravely Default's a pretty weird name, too. <laughs> I kind of got used to it, but yeah. I yeah, I think it's called for a second. They said it wouldn't come west unless the game sold well in the west, and well, 200,000 pretty well. Fifth of a million. So, mm. So there's that. Uh, but in other Nintendo software news, some leaked numbers for third-party Wii U games aren't quite as positive. We can't... These days, when it comes to Nintendo sales, they can't all be positives. It just doesn't happen anymore. So on the Wii U front, we learned that since they were all released on their respective dates, a handful of third-party Wii U games have all sold under 100,000 still. Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, which came out last March, has managed to sell 97,000 units. That might explain why Monster Hunter 4 is only on the 3DS. Why bother releasing on the Wii U when the 3DS sales are going to be higher? Although, I could be wrong. I don't know the Wii, the 3DS sales for um, Hunter 3 Ultimate. So it's possible it's possible the Wii U version actually is still better. And it's possible Capcom's happy with just shy of 100,000. I don't quite know. But generally speaking, that's not the best number to have. I mean, well, Rayman... Less than 100,000 a year later, is that really that bad? It's not bad, it's just not great. No. I mean, I'll put it this way. For a niche title like that, it's not horrible by any means. And Capcom's clear, clearly happy enough with the performance combined with 3DS to do a sequel. But I don't think any... And I'm sh- it might have broken even or turned a profit. That's what really matters. It's not the raw sales numbers. It's the profit they generate. So, for example, Rayman Legends sold 99,000 units since it came out in September, right? But profitability-wise... Considering they invested in the UbiArt engine and that's going to power a whole bunch of games, they probably made a profit off Rayman Legends. They're probably okay with it selling that much. Well, on the flip side, a game like Sonic Lost World selling 91,000 units, I don't know if Sega's as happy with that because I feel like they poured a lot of resources into making that with its own engine and everything, and it might not have turned a profit at that sales number. So it's really a combination of profit and, and sales. Hmm, right there's Zelda level. It's coming. At some point. I think it's been a long time. Yeah, I don't know why Nintendo would announce the Zelda DLC and then not do anything with it. Maybe we need another Nintendo Direct or something. Soon. We should have one soon. It last one was in February. We should have one by the end of April for sure. Yeah. I'd imagine. But uh, the only other sales number worth mentioning that I didn't say is Wonderful Wild 1, which is Nintendo first party title. Uh, 67,000 copies. That's not so good. Nintendo doesn't usually... There's a reason Nintendo didn't brag about its sales. I'll put it that way. Donkey Kong outsold it in eight days. Oh, wow. By double. Roughly. Well. Yeah. So, uh, which is unfortunate, because Wonderful 101, I mean, yes, it's bizarre and weird and has strange controls, but it's fun. It has a good style. It has a good, like, not vibe, but it has, like, a good... Might have been a little too different for a lot of people. It's super Japanese and super quirky. 
It's super platinum games. Maybe that's it's what they beautiful did bring over Captain Rainbow. Oh, I'm sure that's why. But yeah. see, with the eShop, they could totally just release it on the eShop. If they sold, like, because part of the thing about, like... I mean, it's Wonderful 101 available through eShop? Yeah, but oh. not exclusively. They have physical. Well, see, yeah. part of the thing, but, like, Sam Punishment, when they brought over the original, and they just made it on the Wii Shop channel, they're like, let's see how it sells. Like, that's how you do it with stuff like that. You don't just ignore it completely. Because, like, that's the beauty of the eShop, is you could just port, or you could just transfer things, localize things, and put them digitally. A lot of profitability loss, or a lot of money loss, comes from the distribution, the marketing, the the printing of the discs. And yes, marketing has to exist still, but if it's on the eShop, you just put some stuff up on the eShop, run some banner ads on your website, you could probably get decent enough. And then just let Word of Mouth do its thing if it's a good game. That's how SteamWorld Dig did it, and that game blew up. So, yeah. it's possible. But uh, we can't really... I feel like we can't really end on a sad note. With I will say that before we get to the ending on... Not ending on a sad note. It is weird to see major, major franchises like Sonic and like Rayman suddenly not sell well. Like... In like their heyday, they would sell millions easily, and now they can't even scratch hundred thousand. That's just, I mean, part of it's because they're on the Wii U, I'm sure, but that just strikes me as really bizarre. Times are changing. I know they are, but anyway, so we can't. Like I was saying, we can't end on a sad note. So um, let's 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 go do some positive sales, I guess, to wrap it up. So on the 3DS side of things, we don't know hardware, but Nintendo did announce some software. First up, Animal Crossing New Leaf is like the pure pure definition of a sleeper hit. It's sold worldwide since it launched 7.38 million copies. That's a lot. The, the, the creator of the game unveiled that number or s- revealed that number at a uh, key, uh, speech he was giving, a presentation he was giving about Animal Crossing at GEC, like a postmortem about it, which I have yet to find a real summary of it online, but I've heard it's a really good like hit, like look into how they made the game. So definitely. For all you Animal Crossing people out there, it's definitely worth hunting down some sort of synopsis of it, from what I've heard. And they showed, like, concept art of some of the villagers and stuff, which is kind of cool. They did something, for example, like, people were, like, they held barbecues for the staff and had, like, brought cakes randomly and stuff just to, like, get in the mindset of, oh, like, we're a village and we all, like, do things together. Like, we have barbecues and then you just, like, in the game. But I thought it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But, um, so over 7 million copies worldwide. That is actually more than what some AAA tiles like The Last of Us have sold since they came out. And that, last of us came out the same month as animal crossing last year or like a week or a, two weeks earlier and animal crossing outsold it but last of us is the game everyone's talking about it's a big triple a release it's even getting a movie huh? yeah it's getting a movie but animal crossing outsold it like i know that's an apples to oranges comparison but just the principle of this little quirky game where you're a villager back on the gamecube has blown up to be bigger than the ps3's biggest game last year at least in terms of buzz that that's that's crazy uh the other good news is that um Life-to-date sales of Pokemon X and Y here in the U.S. are continuing to grow. It's up to 3.4 million copies sold since it came out in October. 130,000 of those were this past month alone. So, go Pokemon. Right. And there's no, there's no real way to know how it's doing on a worldwide level, Pokemon. But, uh, like, they haven't released numbers outside of the U.S. lately. We do know it was selling super well, but we just don't know how well. But one indication that it's still as big as ever is that um, Pikachu is now the mascot for the World Cup. Do you hear about this? Yeah. I think about it. Oh, yeah, you did. That's right. It's it's weird. Still not enough to get me it's, to watch a soccer game. But, yeah, but it's crazy to think that we're at a point where Pikachu, a Nintendo character, is, like, so universal and so well-known that he can represent an entire country in a major international sporting event watched by the majority of the world. Give them Pokemon sales are going to go up. Yeah, they probably will. And, I mean, it's brilliant. Of, uh, it was 
Adidas and, and the Pokemon company struck this deal. And it's not just Pikachu that they're having. They're having a team of 10 Pokemon. And they'll be in all the artwork for the Japanese team and everything. Yeah. Pikachu's the captain of the it's team. Like a bunch of starters, like a Panchen. Yeah, I have the thing. list. I have the list. It's Meowth, Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, Chespin, Froakie, Fennekin, Pancham, uh, Helioptile, how Helioptile? Helioptile, and Litleo. Okay, those last two don't fit in whatsoever. I get the starters. I get the other starters. I get Meowth. He's kind of iconic from the cartoon. And I even get Pancham a little. But I don't know why the other two are there. I mean, it's cool, but it's like they drew names out of a hat at some point. Because they were, I don't know, they were looking at the Pokédex. All right, let's see who's the same height. Yeah, pretty much. But it's just like... Height to cuteness ratio, the fact I guess. That, yeah, that's actually probably what it is. But the fact that like, Adidas is like, hey, let's put Pokémon on the jersey. Like, that's... Imagine if you went to the Olympics and, like, the U.S. was represented by, like... I'm trying to think of some U.S. Thing. Betty Boop? No, <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, okay, U.S. is a good example. Yeah, uh, U.S. is too... All over the place. Yeah. But you get my point. Like, it's just like... It's crazy that Pokemon... Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, you go to the Olympics and it's like... Team USA with Mickey Mouse faces everywhere. Or Bugs Bunny faces. Bugs Bunny. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, it's just... It's crazy. It's super cool. Like, it really shows how well, big Pokemon like is. I don't know America, Bald Eagle. Or big popular cartoon character anywhere. I can't even think of one off the top of my head. There isn't one. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't... Can't just do stuff to a bald eagle and sacrilegious to America, America. But uh, no, I was gonna say though that like, do you remember when we were kids and I was like, oh, Pokemon's a fad; it will never amount to anything. Uh, it's a mascot at the World Cup. It amounted to something, I think. I don't remember. Anyone I'll put it this way: all the news reports about well, all the new what? I don't remember anyone. Well, not amount to anything, but everyone like. Like, all the news stories about Pokemon. Like, when they were banning Pokemon cards from schools, it was like, oh, the Pokemon fad, which, you know, blah, 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 is at its peak. It, and then, like, there'd be all, you know, there'd be, like, people, like, doing interviews, and they'd be like, yeah, well, the, the Pokemon the Pokemon cards are causing a problem, but we expect, like, in two years, no one's going to care, and the, fran- and the thing, it'll all just die out. Like, Pokemon will just die out. It did not just die out. It's probably If like, anything, the people saying that, that was, like, kind of, like, the thing that just died out, people, those people just stopped caring and just let Pokemon do its thing. Yeah. Well, Pokemon is a frenzy definitely settled down but it didn't disappear if I, I don't know i feel like it still is like as like in the elementary school i work at like it's huge i think it's bigger there than it was when i was in elementary really oh yeah huh because pokemon was huge because now they have because now they have their older like some of the, um, some of their older siblings slash parents like were, oh, were yeah. the people that were into that's pokemon a weird when it came thought. out that's almost as so crazy as pikachu so now those kids like are getting everything that their parents had plus like Right. that makes so. sense that makes sense yeah I uh, I still remember I was in New York just like a total coincidence if anything it's cooler now for them because like oh the older kids like like Pokemon it, yeah. yeah I remember like this just shows you the longevity of Pokemon I don't I, it was total coincidence I was there at the same time but I was in New York when the Pokemon 10th anniversary bash was happening in Bryant Park in New York City and they built this huge they took over the park built this huge stage they had Hulk Hogan host it not which makes zero sense and uh, it was like literally like a weekend long like festivity like they had ruby and sapphire demo i think it was ruby and sapphire demos before the games came out no it wasn't ruby and sapphire it was that'd be 2003 that can't be right it was diamond and pearl maybe no i don't know demoing a pokemon game sounds weird though what demoing oh yeah no they had demoing they had competitions they had like giant pikachu balloons like it was not like they had i still have a bunch of uh the swag from it somewhere in my house but it's just like it was weird because like you're in the middle of new york city and then there's this huge like I don't know, 20-something-foot-tall stage with a giant Pokemon logo on it, and they were, like, 
And the city declared, like, Pokemon Day. Like, New York City officially declared Pokemon Day. Like, the mayor did. Like, it was, it was the, weird. Still a day called Pokemon Day. It was day. cool. No, it's a one-time thing. Oh. You, know, you know those ceremonial, like, it's blowable a day. You know, and to, to promote Pokemon Yellow, Nintendo went to Topeka, Kansas, and they got the city to change their name to Pikachu, Kansas, for a single day. And they declared it Pikachu Day. Hmm. Yeah. Nintendo, Nintendo did something similar with Kirby in one town once, too. They got the that town called Kirby something or other. They declared that one it Kirby they, Day. Is that one they made those, like, balloons? The Kirby, the, yeah, the, the, the bubbles. The bu- soap bubble things, yeah. yeah. Yep. But yeah, so, um, wow, this episode's full of interesting little tangents, but that pretty much does it for news, I think. Speaking of random tangents, did you know that Matt LeBlanc had $11 to his name when he auditioned for Friends? No. Now I do. Yeah, random fact. It's LeBlanc, by the way. Whatever. LeBlanc. I mean, it's spelled LeBlanc. Kojima. Yeah, well, you know what? At least I can say American names because I'm American. That's, a, that's American? He's American. LeBlanc? Okay, his name's actually French, but he's American. Well, yeah. Kojima's Japanese, and his name's Japanese. So. Oh, I know, yeah. And I don't know Japanese, so I'm going to play dumb American and just say it wrong. That's my excuse. I'm hiding behind my being American. No, I'm t- well, whatever. I'm using America as a shield against my ignorance about the rest of the world, <laughs> as a true American would. And with that, uh, game impressions, I guess. So, the two big games we've been playing... I've been playing Yoshi's New Island. You've been playing Weapon Shop Domase. I guess I'll do Yoshi apparently. first. Did you say you haven't? No, I said apparently. Uh, yeah, apparently. I don't know. I have not witnessed it. But either you're going to do some amazing BSing right now, or you actually <laughs> have played it. I don't know which. But I have played Yoshi. And as such, I can't actually talk about Yoshi. So I shall do so. And you know, the thing about Yoshi is it really is, like... Um, I don't even... It's it's a weird... It's a strange beast, Yoshi. Like, I don't know how better to describe it. But, like, on the one hand, there's no doubt it's a Yoshi game. Like, you're certainly... You know, you have the egg tossing... You are playing as Yoshi. You are Yoshi. He is making those weird little high-pitched gurgles he makes. You're throwing eggs. There's a baby in a balloon... There's a baby in a bubble that you have to keep putting on your back. Like, it's Yoshi. Through and through. It's a Yoshi's Island game. But, like, on the other hand, it just doesn't really have anything new. Which is kind of ironic given its title of Yoshi's New Island. Like, it feels very, like, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that, kind of. Like, I, I guess I'll just do, like, the good Well, the, and the island bad. is new. Yoshi isn't. No, it's the same island. On the start screen, the island spins around just like it does on... But uh, it said that the game takes place on this floating resort island oh, that they true. go to it's on It's in the clouds. That's something. true. Yeah, they don't explain that in the intro, by the way. Just, it's an island in the clouds, and there's Yoshi's hanging out, and then Baby Mario literally parachutes in by his diaper. And they're like, oh, we got... And then he starts crawling, and they're like... That kid, that kid, that kid's got moxie. Yeah, he is dedicated to finding his brother. We're going to help him. So I thought the intro sequence with the crazy kazoo. Yeah, oh my god, the music. I'll get to the music. Let, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to try and do this in a logical way. So I'll do the good and work my way to the bad. That seems like the best way of doing it, right? And then I'll end oh, on this. start with the bad. No, because I oh, already have my train of thought in my head. Oh, I'm going to go right. with the good. <laughs> I'm going to go with the good because like, if I start with the bad... Like, the good is, like, overall, it's a good game. It's not a bad game. So I feel like starting with the good and then whittling down to the things I don't like makes the most sense. That's what I'm going to do, and you can't stop me. So the good, so first, the good. Uh, I think, like, at its core, Yoshi's New Island still is a solid platformer. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, per se. It, like, it can be easy. If you're just running through a level and going, like, okay, I'm just going to go through this as quick as I can, it could definitely be easy. But much like in Yoshi's Island, and to some extent Yoshi's story with the fruit, you do have things to find in every level. There are five hidden flowers, there are uh, like 30 or 20 red coins, there's 20 red coins, there's 30 little star sprite guys, and you know, if you actually decide to try and perfect, get perfect, you try and get perfect on every level, try and perfect every level, uh, you, 
do have a bit of a challenge. They are clever with how they hide stuff. Some stuff only appears if you walk over something and then double back. Some stuff is tucked away in corners. Some stuff is behind hidden walls. Like you actually put in the effort to try and find things and do it more of an exploration than just a standard romp. Then it gets a little more difficult and a little more interesting. And not only that, but also, um, as the game progresses, it does get noticeably... There is challenge at it. Like, World 1 is, like, a cinch, but as you go further in, you do notice some things start to ramp up, a little more difficult stuff. Like, there's one level where you're basically having to platform rapid-fire from little platform to little platform while a giant blob lava thing... You know those guys with the teeth that look like blobs? They come in lava form and blue form. The box of Yoshi's Island, that big blue thing. Oh, the... Yeah, those the things. The iconic monster dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a lava equivalent. Well, anyway, one of those giant guys is chasing you, and you have to really quick go platform to platform. So there is some, like, tense moments. There is some stuff where it's like, oh, you really need to test your platforming skills. But that's later on. The beginning is definitely easy unless you're doing exploration. But at least it has that difficulty curve. Like, I was a little worried the whole thing would be that easy, but it does ramp up. So that that's a plus for sure. And uh, contrary to what a lot of people are saying about the game, like online and whatnot, I actually don't think the graphics are all that bad. Yes, the hand-drawn graphics are probably better, but when you're seeing this on the 3DS screen, it actually looks kind of decent. I mean, like, previously people were like, oh, it looks so bad because they're looking at blown-up screenshots, looking at screenshots out of context on their computer monitor yeah, at five times the resolution. That, um, when you're looking at a game, like, in, with an actual 3DS, it looks way better than any mm -hmm. screenshot you would ever Because 3DS doesn't do anti-aliasing, so the screenshots look super janky, but when you're looking in 3D on the 3DS screen, Alias? the 3DS effect, the 3D effect kind of aliases. Is it, I don't know what the one looking for is. Aliasizing? Well, anti-aliasing anti anti -aliasing just means uh, no, ja no jaggies. Oh. But yeah, Alias is a TV show from Joss Whedon, uh, the guy that made uh, The Avengers. Wait, was that right? Jennifer Gardner? I think it was Jennifer Gardner in it, yeah. yeah well, that was his show. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I always remember it came out after Wonderful World of Disney. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. But, what was I starting to say? Right, so the graphics. Um, I Like I said, the, the 2D definitely, the hand-drawn look of the older Yoshi games I think is better. But this one's really not bad once you accept it. Like, the 3D characters themselves, like, they look kind of janky at times. But, if you just turn on 3D and roll with it, they almost look like claymation, like claymated figure, like clay figurines. Like, they kind of have a claymated feel to them. So, yeah, it's not perfect claymation. But if you accept, okay, they're not hand-drawn, they're little 3D sculpted thingies. You can roll with it a lot better, and their animations make sense, and it kind of fits that claymated idea. Technically, every CG character is sculpted. That's true, with renders, but, like, rendered sculpting. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I mean, they have to sculpt it. No, but I mean, like, these can totally, like, you could totally buy into the idea that they're clay because yeah. of the way they're colored and everything. But the um, the backgrounds of the levels, because they're not being constricted to the hand-drawn thing, they had a little more fun with it in the sense that, like, each world or each set of worlds seems to have different themes. There's one that's, like, an oil painting. The first world is old-school Yoshi's uh, Yoshi's Island, where it's all like hand-drawn Crayola-looking stuff. Then there's one that uh, there's one that almost looks like like this looks more like unlike Aztec, which I was saying earlier. Aztec. I mean, this looks like like the the one world looks like almost like Japanese calligraphy, like sumi art or whatever it's oh. called, and that looks cool. Like there is a lot. I mean, sometimes Yoshi looks a little out of place in it. Like the foreground, background don't quite match, but the fact that they're playing with the idea of this game's like you're in like this artsy world and everything's different art. That's kind of cool. Kind of reminds me of how New Super Mario Brothers U did it, where they had, like, the starting that level. level. Yeah, that one level. Like, this is the idea just more realized and not as well executed. But, but so that, that's what I liked about the game. Like, I mean, it is a solid platformer. It has decent graphics, contrary to what some people say. I think it looks good in motion. But then start th things start to get a little iffy in the other, like, in the ways that, Inten that Nintendo and uh, RZS, the developer, 
tried to differentiate the game. Because on the one hand, the graphics differentiate it, definitely. The fact that they're 3D, the fact that there's different themes, that sets it apart from other Yoshi games. And, you know, gives it its own identity. But the other ways they try and give it identity didn't quite work as well. So, like, the big one, um, you know, transformations are back. And the whole gimmick this time is they're gyro-controlled. And I'll admit, some of the transformations are kind of out there and weird, and I kind of like them. I mean, did you ever imagine Yoshi as a hot air balloon? Because guess what? He's a hot air balloon in one part. Like, literally, his I face is... I never really imagined of any of the transformations before they were dressed. You know me neither, but... Yoshi transforming was a really weird concept when I first heard about it. Yeah, it is. But, like, yeah, he's a minecart. The first transformation you do is a minecart, and instantly I'm like, oh, it's like Donkey Kong. No, it's not. That's the problem with the transformations. Hot air balloon as well is that... Uh, Yes, he can transform. Yes, that's supposed to be his new gimmick. He's like, oh, you're doing it with Gyro. But quite frankly, the transformations and what you do with them is no different than when you're just platforming as normal Yoshi and using the control pad or control stick. Like, the, the minecart, they just send you down a path where you're zigzagging back and forth. Like, just a normal platforming path. The hot air balloon, you're just being pushed up a trail of coins that could easily have just been, like, in Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze where it's just the wind propelling Donkey Kong. Like, nothing in it was like, oh, cool, this vehicle makes sense. I mean, there were some exceptions, but really, everything you can do with the vehicle, you can just do, using gyro, you can just do with the D-pad, either in vehicle form, or as Yoshi. Like, it just seemed unnecessary. It didn't, add, it didn't take away from it, it just didn't add to it, like I think they probably wanted it to. And that's kind of true for those super giant eggs they have now, too, like the Mega Dozer and the Metal Dozer. The Mega Dozer... Egg Dozer? I mean, egg, did I say Mega Dozer? Yeah, Egg Dozer and Metal Dozer, yeah. Or Metal Egg Dozer. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Mega Dozer. Sounds like a guy who's Mega Dozer sounds like a guy who is in a very deep sleep. <laughs> but um, but no, what I was gonna say is like for the egg dozer, it's all in preset parts of the level. So it's like you press you throw the egg and that just zigzags and knocks over pipes and everything, and you collect coins and then you're like, Okay, cool, that happened, onward and you just move on with the level. Like it's not like a thing that you're like, Oh, I can use it here and do this cool thing. It's just kinda it's kinda obvious you break where you the do game. it. What? It'd break the game. Yeah, it would, probably. And then the metal dozer, like, I mean, it's the same kind of idea. It's like, oh, now you can use it underwater. It's holding you down underwater, so you can actually, like, walk around underwater or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, well, it's only going to work in the parts they let you work it, have it work in because it'll break everything otherwise. So they're, like, interesting ideas, but they're just not executed. It's like they're there. They're like, okay, I did that. Now back to being Yoshi, and normal. When I saw, like, the footage of, like, oh, the, the metal egg dozer, like, like pulls you underwater like I don't know it looks funny because like it doesn't look like he's pulling him yeah. you see Yoshi jumping into the water first and just sinking down and yep. then the egg those are following yeah so yeah that's like, another weird thing is like it's almost backwards in how it should be animated like the egg the, the metal dozer should be like an anchor that pulls him down yeah exactly but instead it's just like floating behind him yeah but I mean just to be clear they're not exactly like bad gameplay mechanics they just don't add anything it's just like oh, okay I just did that next thing like they don't they were trying to make a gameplay hook, and instead they just got some sort of, like, little side distraction for a second. Now, there is one... I will say there's one thing that actually made me go, well, this is cool. And that's Yoshi's Invincibility Star. I know you're thinking, like, what, what, what's the difference between that and Baby Mario? In other Yoshi's Island games, Baby Mario would run around in his cape at full speed, now it's Yoshi running at full speed. That is true, when you're on land. You can launch off the land, and suddenly Yoshi goes, like, all Super Saiyan, like, DBZ style, and just, like, bolts, like, flies to, like... These little tracks of coins and everything, and he has, like, this blue glow. He looks like a jet or something. It's super, like, kind of gimmicky. It's, like, five seconds long, maybe ten seconds at times. But I was just like, this is cool. I could play a whole game of Yoshi skyrocketing everywhere. Not really, but, you know. Like, that was one of the, that was one of the few things, like, well, this is something different for the Yoshi games. I never had to control Yoshi going, like, Mach 2. 
Mm-hmm. And like, and how it works is like they have it so when you steer Yoshi, he obviously because he's going so fast, like it's kind of a delay of input in a way. You know what I mean? Like you hit up and he has to like glide up. It's not like a sharp up because he's going so fast. So there's like coins and stuff in the path, and you have to kind of zigzag him through them. But you have to, you know, kind of know what you're doing to be able to get everything. So I thought that was kind of a nice touch. But I think my biggest issue with the game of everything is probably the music, which you already kind of brought up. Those kazoo's. I mean, in theory. The idea they had behind the music was kind of clever. Much of the music is the same basic theme remixed in different genres and different styles with different instruments. And it's kind of it's kind of a neat idea because, you know, it's like lots of Yoshi games have very iconic music. And they're like, well, let's make one iconic song and remix it on the fly for every level. Like, kind of cool. I mean, some levels don't have it, but a lot yeah. do. Kind of cool concept. The problem is, one, unfortunately the theme just isn't that great. I still have Yoshi's Story music stuck in my head to this day. And I haven't played it in years. I cannot, for the life of me, remember the Yoshi's New Island theme. Granted, when I was playing it, I could hum along to it. But step away from it for five minutes, I completely forgot it. Like, it's just, it's just missing that little hook that the other Yoshi games have in terms of music. And two, the instrument choices are just out there. I mean, they have a kazoo. It's like they went into a preschool classroom and, like, let's grab all the instruments, which I think is actually what they did. Wasn't that appropriate, then? It is, kind of. But the thing is... Just because they have the instruments doesn't mean they make sense to go together and doesn't mean they sound good. Having a kazoo on top of what sounds like humming separately from the kazoo with a random xylophone doing offbeat notes just sounds weird. I don't know. It just sounded too... I just didn't like it that much. And it might just be me, but I feel like the music was probably the weakest part of the game. But, um... Yeah, it's just... I think it's... Even if you're okay with the instrumentation, just it's missing that catchiness. I will say, the castle music is pretty decent but mm-hmm. the rest of it's just kind of whatever so i think overall like just to kind of sum up because i've been kind of oops i dropped my 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 water lid i've been kind of all over put the impressions but i think i kind of went from good to bad so i think overall though the best way to sum up yoshi's new island is probably that it's a bit of a mixed bag i mean if you've i'll put it this way if you've never played a yoshi's game a yoshi island game or a yoshi game at all if you're new to the franchise it's probably worth checking out i mean the egg mechanic works exactly as it used to well relatively as it used to it has some tweaks but the egg mechanic is totally unique to the series you know the whole like keep the health being controlled by baby mario flowing away that's unique to the series and those are cool mechanics and they're executed on well here just because the game is by the books doesn't mean it's a bad book you know so it's it's good for what it is if you've never played it and if you're a platforming fan it's still a solid platform there's some challenges some interesting stuff there's some clever hidden uh flowers and coins and star star people things but if you're looking for something bigger if you're looking for something grander if you're looking for something greater like if you're looking for the next great yoshi game like this innovative new yoshi game that really does new things as this title will imply you're probably not gonna get it i think at the end of the day the best thing i can say about yoshi island is that it's good not great so you know if it's your cup of tea if it's your cup of tea it's worth checking out i'm enjoying it i just see holes in what could i just uh, not holes i just see things that could have been improved upon but for what it is, it's pretty decent. And if you're looking for a platformer, or if you're new to the franchise, it's probably worth checking out. Maybe at a discounted price, eventually. But I'm okay with paying 40 for it. I'm not disappointed. Yeah, I just it, think there's ways it could have improved it. I mean, I'm sure, like, Nintendo, like, obviously, like, oh, I mean, they could have made a better game. But, I mean, at the same time, this game could have potentially, like, been terrible. So Yeah, the fact that they were able to replicate a normal Yoshi's Island experience pretty well. And maybe it's missing some of the... Maybe the level design isn't quite as elaborate. Maybe it's not quite as clever. Maybe it's... You know, there's all sorts of things where, like, well, it could have been this, but it's this. You know, it could have been that, but it's this. Or it could have been this, but it's that. 
That's true, but at the end of the day, these guys made a pretty good clone of Yoshi's New Island that feels like a Yoshi game. It just doesn't feel like a great Yoshi game. Yeah. It's just a good one. So, so that's my take on Yoshi's New Island. It's kind of one of those like, if you need something playing your 3DS, this is as good a choice as any. So. Do you recommend it? I would recommend it with those stipulations I gave. Like, if you're new to the franchise or if you just like platforming, sure. But if you are going into it expecting, like, if you're expecting it to be like the Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze of Yoshi games, just don't. You'll only hurt yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's decent. It's good. It's good, just not great. I know I keep repeating that, but it's a good, it's a good summary tagline. And I, I think, yeah, and I think that kind of sums up the scrambled expectations pun title to some extent, because it's like, you know, you have to go in with the right mindset for this one, which a lot of people didn't. And a lot of people from the start thought it would be really mundane and boring, so they went in with the wrong mindset too in the other direction, and then they were, might be pleasantly surprised. I don't know. Or they might just hate it from the start because they are trying to find every flaw possible. But if you go in with a like, blank slate like I did and just be like, yeah, I saw it. It is what it is. We'll see how it actually plays. You might be pleasantly surprised. Well, a victim of its own pedigree. Pretty much. But yeah, so, that, so that's Yoshi's New Island. What about you? How's Weapon Shop doing, I say? That game. That game. I did not even expect to end up getting it. Real yeah, quick, uh, I was just going to say, real quick for those who don't know anything about it, it's an eShop title from Level 5. It's part of their um, series of Guild 1 games in Japan. So different developers make different games and they compile them all. And after being lost for like a year and a half, it was finally released. Just, it was just to lost set the, and then it was found. Basically. But just to, just to set the scene for people who may not know anything about yeah, it. So this game takes place in like a... It's a parody of like, I guess, RPG games. Like, adventure RPG games. Right. And you play the weapon shop... Yeah, the weapon shop um, apprentice um, to these people that... To all the heroes that just like buy all these swords. That usually like, you go to a weapon store, you buy your sword, you don't really think about them. And you go on your adventure, you kill some dragon, you go back to the store, sell your old weapon. Right. Get a new one. Well, The store is nothing more than a conduit to give you weapons. Yeah, but this one, I don't know, it's really interesting just in just in that fact that you're playing from that other perspective. And, I don't know, it's a pretty, it's pretty funny sometimes. But, um, sometimes? It, well, sometimes just because it's, it's just weird. It's just a uh, weird right, game. Right. So, pretty much, um, the game plays out more... In this sense, like, um, someone goes into the store, they want to rent out a weapon, so... Yeah. They tell you, okay, um, I'm an adventurer, I want to go slay this dragon near this... Like, these, like, yeah, these dragons and goblins near a village, so I need a sword. And then they're like, okay, so then they leave the store, you forge the sword using a rhythm game that... It's very, very simple. If you just, um... To someone with no rhythm, such as myself, do pretty well on it? Yeah, you, you will. Oh. You, you do, you do very... It's that simple? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the only, like the hardest part is probably just um when the mini game occurs. Like you pick which type of sword you want to make, right, or whatever weapon you're gonna make, and then it shows you like a silhouette, or I guess it shows you like the blade of the actual blade of how it's gonna look. Then the blade van like fades away, and it just gives you like the lump of metal that's gonna turn into it. Mm-hmm. And you just tap the screen to the rhythm, like to create to forge the weapon. But you can't tap it in the same place twice. You actually have to tap away. You're chipping away the metal. So if you're chipping away at the same spot over and over again, you're going to lose points. So it, the the more places you tap, the more points you get. Oh, okay. Like the sharper it becomes, gotcha. the more gotcha. damage it does, the more resilient it is. Right. And then the person will come back, they'll get their weapon, and then they'll go off on their adventure, and you pretty much just wait for them to come back so that they could pay you. Now, how's that work? Like, when they're gone, is there, like, a set time within the game, or is it, like, instantly it's... they walk back? Like, is it, like, no, one no, customer no, will leave, and in the interim, someone else will no, come back? No, this is where it gets pretty interesting, um... You have something called the Holocaster, which I guess it's like Twitter. It's almost identical to Twitter. 
in the sense they that in game Twitter. Yeah, pretty. much. I'm already wanting to with, buy this. with with hashtags and everything. I already want this game. So um, so like like for example, there's um this guy that came in that he he thinks he's like the best adventure ever. There. Best adventure ever, but he looks like he's like really terrible at everything uh-huh. he does. So I give him the sword, and then like he's leaving, and then he's like, "Oh, walking through the forest, um, really bored." And then like the next little tweet comes out. Uh, oh, and all these messages—they all appear on the top screen, um, in real time, quote unquote. Like, real in-game time. Uh, yeah, real in-game time. So they're just scrolling, 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 and sometimes you'll get like three different. So it is like Twitter. Yeah, like it's just live. Yeah, live updates. Like that's so cool. And like sometimes you'll get something like um, what was the one that he said um. Like, oh, enter this cave. It's really dark. I don't really want to go in. Hashtag on first adventure problem. There's stuff like that. <laughs> well, I'm already sold on this game. I'll continue. I'm so, just saying I'm already sold. And then every once in a while, um, they'll encounter like an enemy. And then they'll say like, oh, um, this adventure's name versus this animal. And they'll say right. like, oh, I'm going to um, have at the... And then it says like, lunging stab, this much damage. And then um, the enemy will attack. And then you could also keep track of their health. So you know how they're doing in battle. Uh-huh. And then at some point I go defeat the enemy, and then they're like, "Well, this is an excellent weapon. I should go back to the store." And then maybe like three or four minutes later, then they'll actually head back to the store. Right. So during that whole time, you could either leave your character just idling around the store, walking around because you don't control them, mm-hmm. or you could um just make weapons. You have like a catalog of weapons you could make, and you could either make axes, lances, swords, and knives, or like yeah, like a stab. So basically, blades. Yeah, blades. Different of kinds all of blades. shapes and sizes. And um. Yeah, you pretty much like you don't know what the next person is gonna ask for, so it's good to have a bunch of weapons like already made in advance. Mm. But um, also, if you don't want to make a weapon, you could just polish weapons. And weapons that you polish from weapons you already had made, like you pretty much increase other stats. And if someone uses your weapon and then returns it, the stats of the of that weapon increase, and you could polish it again to, like, gotcha, yeah. yeah, to rent it again. Yeah. And I guess like depending on the where the adventurer goes, like they bring you back new materials to make different kinds of weapons then you get to upgrade them and then once the adventurers become stronger you get to make more powerful weapons and so on and pretty much that's just how it goes like like the whole playthrough of it but then um pretty early in the game you're told about like some evil called like the the dark lord mm-hmm. and i know right away i feel like like oh, okay this is probably going to be like the final boss of the game because all of a sudden you get like this counter on the top of the screen this is countdown to the revival of the Dark Lord. So obviously, like you're gonna not have it, not even so. <laughs> so obviously, you're gonna have to like probably just like work your way through all these adventures, make some really good weapons, so that at some point you're gonna give a really powerful weapon to the person that's gonna take down the Dark Lord. Right. So instead of fighting that final boss, you're gonna be the person that gives the weapon to. Right, and that which guy. fits with the rest of the game, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this game has a really, I mean, like I said, because like the. The tweet style messages mm-hmm. like it has a really really light tone i mean when people walk in through the door you hear like the little doorbell like bells yeah and then like uh, you hear like clapping like people cheering and then um when someone does something bad wait so it is like a sitcom yeah like they're not like, just a laugh track but they have the grand entrance with the applause and yeah yeah nice. and like they have like the woo then they're like whoa like, when someone comes <laughs> in and then um like usually you're playing as the apprentice or it's mostly like from the apprentice per- perspective yeah. And then um, sometimes they'll call his master for help. And they're like, oh, master, come over here. And then when he comes over, like, they'll be, like, more clapping. Like, yeah. Like, oh, my God, it's the master. Right. And I don't know. Just, I don't know, it's just funny and weird. That's, I've never played a game with a laugh track before. It's, that's cool. That's, uh... The software's been pretty persistent. There how how, uh, how much is that game? It's only, like, eight or nine bucks, right? Seven ninety nine. That's not bad. I'm seriously like between the Twitter thing, just because I'm a social media junkie. Between the Twitter, like the fake Twitter and the like 
and poking fun at social media and like the laugh track and the sitcom stuff. I'm seriously like tempted to download this like right yeah, now. And I mean, it's a really simple game that you could um like play like in really short bursts, uh-huh. or that you could play in lock session. Just because I mean, you could just forge a few weapons, save, done. Or you right. could like wait. I mean, and each little adventure that comes through, like they each have like their own little story that unravels. Like right now, I'm like I just met this hero that he's pretty modest and he actually like. He seems like he has the potential to one day beat the Dark Lord. Yeah. I mean, I don't know yet, but he seems very, very promising. Like, he was able to take down, like, hordes of, like, 20 goblins with the sword I gave him. Even though it was a level one sword, they're, like, mm-hmm. not impressed. Mm-hmm. Then there's that other guy I mentioned that just seems really cocky of himself. There's another guy that looks like a coward. And then there's, there's um, these twin girls that are trying to save their heirloom that got stolen. Mm-hmm. So, it's, like, a lot of little stories. I don't know. It's interesting. It I'd, sounds really cool. I'd, I'd recommend it. It's it's a really fun and unique game. Definitely never played anything like that. Especially because... It's like the polar opposite of what I was saying about Yoshi. Where it's like, it's too much of the same. You're like, well, here's a big toy out left field. Yeah, because I mean, like, who would ever expect to play a game about the shopkeeper? Yeah. I mean... It's a clever idea. And I love the fact that they just full-on embrace that they're parodying. I mean, like, it's well, we're not just going to parody video games. Let's just parody everything. Yeah, Sitcoms, I mean, it's almost in the same sense like where, I mean, like, I never expected or... To want to play a game where you play a defense attorney. I never thought I wanted to play a game where you're the the blacksmith. But see, those are kind of like... And those are the games I ended up loving the most. And those are kind of the best types of games, I feel like. Are the games that that you least expect you to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, again, not to go full circle, but kind of fits with the whole indie thing we were talking about earlier about like the rise of indie games. Because those indie games, those are the creative ones with the crazy ideas. Like, this is an indie game to some extent. I mean, Level 5 is a major publisher, but... But the uh, the approach they took with the Guild series is to pluck individual developers and say, make your dream game, go. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's cut from similar similar cloth. Yeah. But yeah, this, that sounds super cool. I'm like seriously going to download it like, right now. Well, yeah. I don't have my 3DS on me. Well, but as soon as I have my 3DS on me, I'm just sure. Because I mean, uh, honestly, I just like to hear the laugh track. It's hilarious. It's yeah, it sounds great. And, I, and I'm a sucker for like, comedies in general. So nope. that's cool. So, anything else you wanted to add about, or should we... No, not really. I mean, it's really not... I mean, besides that, I mean, it's a really simple game. Right, yeah. Describe... You're there more for the, for what it has to tell, and for the story and what it tells, than yeah, how it tells, than... Yeah, because, I mean, like, I mean, as far as just gameplay, you're either just forging swords or polishing swords. I mean, right. polishing weapons, I mean. Right, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're really there more for, yeah, the dialogue, which is right. pretty which, good. Yeah, which is its bread and butter. All right, I guess on that note, so we have uh, one... Yeah, under certain circum- certain circumstances for Yoshi and one, yeah, for uh, Weapon Shop Dome, I say. Uh, I think that pretty much does it for this episode of Roundtown Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. We will be back with our next episode, including full impressions of Pokemon Battle Trozy, among who knows what other games, on April 6th in two weeks' time. Uh, until then, as always, we encourage you to follow Ram Nintendo on Twitter at Ram Nintendo or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes at iTunes, so you don't uh, so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also, if you have another podcasting app of choice, go ahead and use that. We approve. Not like you need our approval. In fact, you probably are insulted I gave you approval. I retract my approval. Do what you want. You're a free spirit. Um, we're, you can also follow or friend us on Meverse. I'm Jason R. And Jose is Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore O, which is coincidentally or not his Twitter handle, while my Twitter handle is Jaster7. So if you want to see what's, what we're up to in the gaming world or the general world, you can social media it up with us on there. Um, on top of all that, I guess the only other thing to say is keep an eye out on the site for extras, as always. We, you know, whenever we find something good to write about, we make sure we do. So, 
we usually post them on Twitter, so you can scan that way. And I think that pretty much does it. So until next time, um, go egg puns. Woo.